Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 17, last card of the year. So we had to have our friend Cody Saftik here in studio to get her all done. Yeah. A little bit of a rough showing last week. My boy Jacaray. Which is why I had to also be in studio. That was a piss poor showing on my part. I guess on my part. I think a lot of people had a bad week in general. Rough night for lots of people in the community, for sure. And now it's the last card of the year, so uh, obviously I had to be in studio to see you one last time before we round things out. But also, to put the game face on, baby, and let's get things going. So on one hand... I'm going to enjoy this bag of beer because it's the last show of the... The last show. Come on. I'm going to do it. But also... How many beers have been enjoyed on this desk out of something other than a boot? I would say basically none. Yeah, yeah. I would say I should do a shoey from for last week, but no. I'm not going to because... Uh, I should probably on. do one for the Jacare love. It is what it is. Uh, you can't predict things like that. I mean, in the Jacare fight, you can predict that Kevin Holland's going to win the fight, but do you predict that Kevin Holland's going to get taken down by world-class BJJ black belt Jacare and then KO him Nico Price style? Like, yeah. maybe, maybe that's not exactly. come out from bottom? Yeah, that's not exactly something that... I was uh, feeling so good about it. And then it was just like, wait a second, he's hanging... Like, Kev, props to Kevin Holland. He was really hanging in there. He wasn't accepting any sort of position. Just, I guess, a, a bad read. One guy at the end of the road, one one guy at the top of his, uh, you know, he's getting into his, his the best part of his career right now, Kevin Holland. So onwards yeah. and upwards for him. and Of course, of course. But them's the breaks, right? Daniel I, I'm sure Scott, Scott Coker's probably calling uh, Jacare right about now. So that's something that we're going to talk about on this card as well, is that you got a lot of these aging legends, uh, the Junior DeSantos of the world, the Jacare Souza's of the world, the can't call him a legend, but the OSPs of the world, and they all need a place to go. They're going to be part of these 60 cuts. The UFC's matching them up with odd-looking opponents. Like, why is a guy with relatively no steam, or why is a guy that just got a, a middling record taking on this aged veteran? It's like do or die. Shogun loses to Paul Craig. It's, it's die. He's going to be on that list, you know? And, like, there's a lot of them. So, bar in mind, like, the UFC knows what they're doing. They're giving them a chance to show that they still got something, but to this point, like, very few of them have really been stepping up to the plate. Club Swanson, you know? He's only 37, I suppose. He's Basically 59 if you factor in all the wear and tear he's had on him. But yeah, yeah, he's relatively well, young. Except for like Glover Teixeira. That guy just won't die. See, Glover wins fights. You don't cut a guy like Glover. Glover could go over to Bellator and conceivably be, you know, a title challenger. You want these guys to be completely washed that by the time they go there, they probably lose a fight or they don't do good. The, the Josh Koscheck's. Remember him? The UFC cuts him. It's high profile. Bellator signs him. He does nothing. He comes in, drops one fight and retires. It's just like he was at the end of the road. He was done. That's what they'd like to get. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely pink slip fights for a lot of people. And they're going to be highly motivated. So I'm highly motivated to get back on track. They're highly motivated to keep the jobs intact. So let's get at it, bud. Let's get at it. We got uh, Jeff Neal taking on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in the main event. We got Jeff Neal, minus 120 favorite. Thompson, plus 100. Thompson actually opened up around, like, minus 160 uh, at most of the markets, and as over the last couple of weeks, people like themselves some Jeff Neal, uh, who is now obviously the favorite in this spot. Um, I don't know if I agree with the the line movement. Watching G, uh, Stephen Thompson's last time out against Vicente Luque, I think it's a relatively, at least in the stand-up, it's a relatively similar stylistic matchup to what Jeff Neal presents. Jeff Neal is faster, has more power, for sure. But um, 
Thompson, what, threw up like 138 significant strikes in that fight, was able to stay at range, fight the fight that he wanted to have, gets clipped a couple times. There's where the danger is against somebody like Jeff Neal. But over five rounds, the, the big thing here, too, is five rounds. I haven't really seen it. Jeff Neal go that distance. He's been fine in going three rounds in some of his fights. So I have to imagine in round four, he'll be at least okay. Big question mark of him, though, is I think it was August 9th on his Instagram feed. You see that he had some, he went in, his body went into septic shock. Yeah. So I'm sure he's been back in the gym. He's been training, but that's got to take a bit out of you. And we're ta- we're fighting on the top level here. And we were talking about it, open the show. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, 37 years old. You know, this is one of the spots, like we were talking about. They're giving you a rising up or an upcomer right here versus an old an old legend. I just think I just think the market's moving in the wrong direction. I actually think the opener was probably more in line with what we should see here. I think Stephen Thompson, unless he gets clipped and we saw it in the Anthony Pettis fight, that was you know, he's dominating until he gets absolutely shut down, but in that Luke A fight, and that's the last thing we can go off of, he looked pretty good, man. He was, uh, you know, staying at his range, controlling the action, throwing up a lot of strikes as Jeff Neal, or as uh, Vicente Luque moved in. Uh, is Jeff Neal going to use the Tyron Woodley style here and make make Wonder Boy t- uh, chase because that's where Wonder Boy has always struggled. Like he's great if he's fighting a pressure fighter. Someone's going to move in on him. But he has definitely struggled when he had to force the action. So I'm I like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson haven't made a bet on it yet. Uh, interested to hear your take. Yeah, well there's just a lot of questions on both sides. Obviously with Jeff Neal is coming a year long layoff. He was battling some health problems and beyond that I mean he hasn't really fought exactly the murderer's row in the UFC to this point so now he's getting UFC headliner against Stephen Thompson a very proven commodity and a very tricky fighter how do you prepare for Stephen Thompson it's difficult when you look at Jeff Neal's you know ascent so to speak his last loss years ago against Kevin Holland who turned out to be a badass he gets really tired in that third round like noticeably gassed out fatigued it's like oh that's the key to this guy you got to hang for a couple rounds you know bear that power and then you can beat him as he tires out but as far as his his run in the UFC goes since then after that fight he finished three guys in the first round got the fight in the UFC head kicks Camacho in the second round the Blah Muhammad fight went the distance we saw him three rounds in there but then it's a lot of finishes Nico Price is wild right Nico Price is the kind of guy that's gonna rock in there and try to brawl with you and you can intercept this guy and knock him flat out which is exactly what Jeff Neal does it's a nice win it's a feather in your cap win Nico drops him at one point too and, and, and Nico's style is, again, it's brawling, it's hectic, it's back and forth, it's go at you, which is something you're not going to face in Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, but a win over Nico Price is nice. To follow it up, the win over Mike Perry was nice at the time. Knocking out Mike Perry with a head kick or, you know, just absolutely battering this guy into next week was a nice win at the time. But as you we've seen, Mike Perry is so raw and he's the same, for, he's the same crash forward, brawler type way less refined than Nico Price, would get killed probably against Nico Price now that you've seen that Tim Means fight and you see where the guy's at. But at the time, at least it was a nice win. But since then, there's been no build on that momentum. Now, he's only 30 years old. One would imagine that in the last 12 months, he's probably made a ton of improvements. And the guy's got a lot of power. And that's the one thing that Stephen Thompson's going to have to mind the P's and Q's on, is that getting a little bit older, being so elusive, it's like, if you do hit this guy, you can knock this guy. Mm -hmm. And I say that because you see the Tyron Woodley fight the first time around. Drops him hard, has him almost out of there, gets a 10-8 round out of it. The second time around, to a much lesser extent, you know, hits him, uh, hurts him, so to speak. 
Then you see Stephen Thompson in these other spots, like the Anthony, the Anthony Pettis fight. Like, who would have saw that coming? That little old Anthony Pettis coming up from 155 pounds is going to Superman punch this guy completely into next week. The Darren Till fight. Darren Till dropped him and hurt him. The Vincente Luque fight, to a lesser extent. You see where he gets hurt. Now, I would argue that Jeff Neal's got more power than all those guys, especially T. Wood, who I'm not a fan of, as we all know. If Jeff Neal hits you, it's going to do a lot of damage, and five rounds is a lot of time to work with. But I agree with your train of thought here is that we've seen Stephen Thompson in five rounds. We know he's not going to fatigue, and we know he's going to be this elusive target, try to stay away from Neal. If Neal doesn't knock him out in the first two rounds, is Neal going to get tired? He's been off for a year. He had COVID. He's been dealing with his other, his other health problems. Like are all he claimed that he almost died from septic shock. Yeah, and here's one thing people don't that realize. That wasn't long ago. That was August 9th is when he's posting a picture of him in the hospital. So If it was like... You know, I don't know how... I'm not a doctor. I don't know how fast people get over these things, but still not like... When you're getting ready for a five-round yeah, yeah, yeah. fight at this level, it's, it's a red flag for me. If you blow your knee out, there's other things you can do. You know, if you tear your labrum, there's other things you can do. If you're in on your deathbed with septic shock, there's like there's nothing you can do. You're not going to the gym on Monday and getting in some tough rounds. Like you rebuild yourself, you rehab yourself, and he's had a year off. So, you know, like I don't doubt that we see a good version of him. It's that I'm not hundred percent sure what we're going to see out of him. Whereas with Steven Thompson, we've figured it out by this point. Listen, and I'm a big Vincente Luque fan. But I was all over Thompson in that fight because why? It's a guy in Luque that likes to brawl, likes to crash forward, and likes to brawl, likes to make it a hectic fight. He intercepts those guys all day long. Mm-hmm. T would wouldn't engage him. Neither time would not engage him. So he moved forward on him and got caught. The Anthony Pettis fight, rewatch it. Anthony Pettis is backing up the whole time because he's like, fck this, Duke. You got that towel ready to get thrown in? And then ends up get clocking with the Superman punch. Literally and jumps him up. off of the cage because he's backing up. It's, it's his last <laughs> hurrah, but he's just like, screw it, and smacks him. The yeah. Darren Till fight. Everybody's booing. It's so low pace. And Darren Till, a natural counterpuncher, is waiting on the shot, smacks him with a straight left. So you're 100% right in your assessment that Jeff Neal lays back and lets Stephen Thompson dictate the action. Maybe he catches him. But because his cardio is not good enough to be like, I'm taking this fucking guy to three, four, and five and knocking him out, he might try to get it done early. And he might fight the way he fought Nico Price. He might fight the way he fought Mike Perry, which is just crash forward. Which he could clip him. He definitely. could, definitely. It's, it's a possible. fist fight. It's yeah, a fist fight. We've seen Stephen Wonderboy Thompson wobbled. We've seen Jeff Neal absolutely ice guys. But again, it's probably closer to a 50-50 fight. They're giving you dog money. On nice. <laughs> dog money, it's plus one hundred. It's been moving though, so we'll see where this ends up. Probably because people made the same the same assessment on Jeff Neal about oh geez, this dog or pass on this one. He's got the power; he might be able to clip him. You've seen how much the guy's been making improvements, fight to fight. Then why isn't a year off going to be really good for him? But again, that might hinder his cardio. Cutting the weight after a year off might hinder him a little bit. Him gassing in the past might resurface. And Stephen Thompson's a guy that. He, he can cruise 25 minutes, no problem. Yep. How do you mix it up? You take this guy down. But, like, who, who takes him down? Nobody, because he's so elusive. And Jeff Neal's not a wrestler anyways. So he, he's just got to sit on that punch and line him up. He's got the power to do it, but I don't want to see him get outworked and then get tired. So I, I'm just going to take the dog play. It's not my most confident play on the card, but it's main event action, five rounds. I think that does ever so slightly favor Thompson. We got Jose Aldo taking on Marlo Ch- Marlon Chito Vera. Jose Aldo, minus 145 favorite. Vera can be had for plus 125. Rewatched uh, uh, Jose Aldo against Peter Yan, and I don't know what my mind was thinking at the time. It was a really savage beating, especially at the end of round four, round five. Yeah, should have made it that Aldo far. Aldo looked pretty fucking good. Yeah, the early. 
in not, the first in the first three rounds. Well, this right. is a three round fight mm-hmm. here. He was taking shots from uh, those shots to the body were definitely definitely taking a lot out of him. Uh, he like keels over and or round one he takes one like while he's on the ground and he really crumples. But still fought. He ended up winning round two. Round three was super close. You could kind of go either way on it. And then as the fight wore on, Aldo, the old Aldo, he always kind of slows down round four, round five. And Jan put him away. Probably about 20 shots that he didn't have to take in that spot. But honestly, I thought for 135, first time at 135, he looked pretty good. Rewatched uh, Vera versus... Uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley there and you know the leg injury that was who knows what would have happened if that fight if the leg injury or whatever happened yeah it's kind him. of a deal breaker yeah like that completely breaker. killed the fight there um, I'm surprised that the line is all that well, this close to be perfectly honest um I like me some Jose Aldo at this point. What are, you, what are your thoughts here? Okay, I don't honestly, I don't mind it as well. And the key reason is because it's a three-round fight. And Chito Vera is notoriously a very, very, very slow starter. And we talk about it every time we talk about any of his fights. He's going to give up the first round. Why? Because he gave up the first round to Wuji Buren. Because he gave up the first round to Guido Canetti. You know, it doesn't matter. He just He's a slow starter, right? Mm-hmm. The Sean O'Malley fight, well, even the Song Yudong fight right prior to that. He gives up the first round. Second round, he starts to build his way back into it. The third round, he's coming on strong. But not being able to get that finish is what ultimately costs him the decision. The Sean O'Malley fight, he's not doing any... I don't know. I don't know. Rewatching it back, it looked like a classic slow start by, by Marlon Vera. He's just not really engaging all that much. He's not throwing a ton. He's letting Sean O'Malley lead the dance. Unfortunately, Sean O'Malley hurts his leg, which is something he did against Andre Sukumantath, which I, I know I just made that joke. It's a bone breaker. It wasn't even a broken bone. It was just like a tendon issue. It was like a calf cramp. Like I'm not exactly sure why Sean O'Malley gets these leg injuries, but Chito Vera is the beneficiary of him toppling over. That's cool. Against Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo's that faster starter, right? So if Marlon Vera just goes out, thinks around, feels the rhythm, feels the gauge, feels the speed, and just drops that first round to him. Well, now he needs to go out there and secure two and three. And whereas we've been seeing Jose Aldo give up those later rounds, Jose Aldo fights the absolute best guys in the world. Peter Yawn, for my money's worth, is, is the best guy in the world. I think he's the best 135-pounder on the planet. He's absolutely lethal. Being 135-pounders, maybe you don't have the most power in the world, so he's just output and volume and chips you away, and that's ultimately what happens the later the fight goes. Marlon Moraes was supposed to be the badass. It was a close fight. You know, Aldo comes on in the third round. Alexander Volkanovsky, he's the best featherweight in the world right now. Like, uh, he's and, and, and then the guys that are just good, they're not great. The Hanato Moicanos, the Jeremy Stevens, like how competitive does he look against those guys? Very. Can he fight the 45-pound champ? No, he's not there anymore. Can he fight the 35-pound champ? No, he's not anymore. I think it's crazy he's making 35. And he looks so good on the scales. And he comes out and he looks so good for, a, a, you know, bits and pieces here and there. I'm shocked that this, this guy's going to get a win at Bantamweight. It's just a matter of time. Is Cheeto Vera the guy? I don't know. But this is, Aldo's going to win that first round. I could see Vera coming on and just tiring him out and putting a work on him in the third round. Because one thing you got to keep in mind, people talk about Aldo, the leg kicks, the body work, you know, such big power. But if he doesn't knock you out, is that when you can turn the tides on him? Like, Cheeto Vera has never been finished. Cheeto Vera is cast iron. He's very, very durable. Jose Aldo better make sure he wins that second round. He needs to bank these first two rounds and then play it safe after that. He's minus 145. He is the favorite. I do feel like Marlon Vera is a live dog, but the, my, the plus 125 price tag on Marlon Vera, just not enough for me. Just not enough for me to get back on him uh, personally. Fight goes the distance. That's what I'm feeling because I don't think Aldo knocks out Marlon Vera. He's not going to submit Marlon Vera. 
So if Jose Aldo wins this fight, it's going to be Aldo by decision. If Marlon Vera does end up being the truth, I still don't think he knocks out Jose Aldo. I think he just works him two and three, wins two and three, picks up the 29-28, maybe a three, two, who knows, but wins two and three and wins a decision. So fight goes the distance. I am going to lean towards Jose Aldo on that. But whereas I said the Neil Thompson fight's not my confident pick, Aldo Vera might be the closest fight on the card. Like it's, I think it's matched pretty well. Both guys could surprise you a bit. We got Michelle Pereira taking on Chaos Williams. Michelle Pereira, minus 125 favorite. Chaos Williams can be had for plus 105. Watched, obviously, in the lead up to his first two UFC fights. You know, you watch the whole catalog of early Chaos Williams fight fights, and you're like, I see holes. You're, you're like Kevin Lee. Like, I, I see holes in this guy's game. Obviously, Michelle Pereira, you know, the guy, some of his earlier fights are just such a absolute train wreck disaster of him just being a showman and not exactly a fighter last time out you know you kind of see him finally starting to you know be a little bit more technical think about you know his career as a UFC fighter and not some sort of like you know special event fun fight I mean this fight is like the pants off I can't see how it's not going to be a good time um I'm scared to uh, to fade the death touch, though, is my big concern here. Um, I, I mean, the Chaos Williams, just the power that he's demonstrated in his two UFC fights here, it's just stepping in front of that train. Luckily, I avoided uh, the Al-Hassan. I just thought the, the line was a little bit too wide in that spot, but... Stepping in front of that train is not something... Uh, it's like Nico Price before. I'm learning from like my Nico Price failures in the past, where it was just like I kept being like, this guy isn't all that good, and just like knockout, knockout, knockout. Um, yeah, I just don't want to step in front of the train right now. My lean is, is Michelle Pereira, but uh, this is one that I think I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the show. So we know Nico Price has the death touch. Why? We've seen it time and time again. Proven commodity, that thing is. We know Yerazino, Rosenstruck, has the death touch. He proved it. He's got it. Chaos Williams certainly appears to have the death touch. There is a large possibility that he, in fact, does have it. But I'm not 100% convinced just yet because it's a small sample size. When you see him on the regional scene, He's not murdering every single guy he's ever hit. In fact, he's in a really competitive three-round fight with Tony Hervey just a few years ago. It's when he came to the UFC, Alex Morono runs straight into the pocket with his hands down, and he blasts him. Cool knockout, man. 39 seconds or something. Comes back like almost a year later and gets Razul Al-Hassan, sorry. Uh, and yeah, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, he doesn't just crash in there forward, but he, he catches him, and it's an empathetic knockout. It's a huge win. But it's like you got to beat some more guys. You got to beat some more top contenders before I'm fully sold on you. Michelle Pereira can be the crazy, you know, shit eating wild man. He can be that guy. He can be nuts. He can be throwing cartwheel kicks and running off the cage. However, he is smart enough to realize it's opponents, right? It's who you're fighting. If you're fighting Tristan Connolly and you're a six to one favorite and you're twice the guy's size, he's a natural lightweight and he's taking the fight on a week's notice, you can play around. You can do that stuff. But then when he lost against Diego, Diego's an opponent you can play around, but he opted not to. Because he just got embarrassed in his last fight. 
He cut the weight good, made 170 good, and he showed well-rounded skills against Diego. Until I was need him illegally. Yeah, I know, I know. And and and, and again, it's a hindsight fight because it's like, well, Diego shot. Anybody can can showcase skills against Diego. But it's like he wasn't just going out there and striking. He was using his wrestling. He was using his grappling, and he looked really, really strong. This guy is a big 170-pound fighter. He used to fight at 185. He used to fight at light heavyweight. He used to fight at catch weights of 220 over in Korea. He's a big, strong guy. Him making 170, he's got some other skills. And then that Zalima Madaya fight, that's where he, like, puts it all together. Now this guy, he's striking with a guy who's supposed to be Zabit 2.0, and he's taking him down. He's grinding him. His cardio checks out. Like, I liked what I seen out of him. And just, just for shits and gigs... With 20 seconds left in the fight, he decides, I'm just going to dump this guy to the ground and choke him out with a rear naked choke. After defeating him soundly in the stand-up for almost 15 minutes. Like, he's able to put things around. Now, when he's fighting Kios Williams, do you think he wants to do a, a cartwheel kick? No, no. Because that's how you get absolutely knocked out. Chaos Williams is not someone that you take lightly. But you go out there and you use your other skills. Can Chaos Williams wrestle? Can Chaos Williams grapple? Can Chaos Williams fight for two or three rounds? You don't know the answer to almost any of those questions because you just haven't seen it yet, right? Whereas Pereira's putting it on. So, yeah, when you talk about could he knock him out, we talked about the main event. Could he knock him out? Could he catch him? Like, anybody can catch anybody. This is the kind of fight where even so, it's, you know, personified power. Could, you know, Michelle Pereira end up on the wrong side of another Chaos Williams highlight? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm going to go with the well-rounded skill set. I'm going to say his striking is a little more refined. He's got a better jab. Stay at the outside. Mind your P's and Q's. And get this guy to the ground. Baked into and that, though. Is... Just rough him up. Tire him up. Break him if you can. Baked into that is Michelle Pereira, Pereira is likely to do something really, really stupid and leave an opening, though. Like, just because so he didn't do that. it it's last time that. against Salim Ibadayev doesn't it's funny mean that. that it's not going to so happen he was, again. So he was minus 145 favorite over Salim Ibadayev, who was 0-2 in the UFC and had previously lost to Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Mm-hmm. Why was he only a minus 145? Because it's baked in that he could even be winning the fight and still cost it for himself the way he did against Diego Sanchez or make a bonehead mistake or all these different things, but... Listen, you were there. I called him losing to Tristan Connolly. I thought, you know what? This guy's playing too many games, and Tristan Connolly, who is a very soundly uh, studied fighter, is going to find those holes and working on him. But the one thing I didn't expect was when Tristan Connolly got him in those five-finger guillotines, when Tristan Connolly attacked this guy's neck, when this guy, he, he missed weight, right? He said his body was shutting down after the first round, after he's breakdancing his way to the ring. <laughs> he fought out of all of those chokes. It was some gangster shit. He does have the heart of a warrior. His just his brain goes entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. If he wins, if he loses five in a row, he's not in the same position of Jose Aldo or Stephen Thompson or you know Anthony Pettis. It's like this guy's gonna give you one hell of a show. You keep him around, but at some point, it's like he realizes I need to get wins. To get those wins, you need to use your skill set, and he does have a decently well-rounded skill set. So. I'm going to go Michelle Pereira minus 125, and I like, I like it better than the Aldo pick, and I like it better than the Stephen Thompson pick. Interesting. Mich- it's basically the Michigan welterweight championship of the world. Michigan, yeah. Now, both these guys are training out of Michigan right now. Um, smaller gyms, but yeah. I mean, it's going to be a hell of a show. Let's move on to the next one. we got Marlon Marais taking on Rob Font. Marais, minus 145. Font can be had for plus 125. Where's your head at here? And be, mind your P's and Q's. Because the, uh, what, what, the Boston the Boston Brigade or whatever they're... The Boston Brigade. That's the, a good way to put they're, it. They're, they're listening, Cody. They're going to attack you. Yeah, well... Uh, yeah, okay, honestly, 
I actually do agree. I think the dog pick on Rob Font is the way to go. I say that because with Marlon Moraes, it's like, again, he's another one of these guys that's not overly old. His problem is, is that he's just taken a lot of damage. He seems to have slowed down a notch, and I just don't know at what point is his chin compromised. I say that because his streak of wins, his three, his three first-round finishes, where it looks like he is the uncrowned champion of the world, Marlon Moraes is sick. He knocks out Sterling in a minute and seven seconds. He knocks out Jimmy Rivera in 33 seconds, and he, and he guillotine chokes Rafael Asensio after rocking him three minutes and 17 seconds. They're all first-round finishes. This guy used to fight five rounds in World Series of Fighting. Surely, gas tank's not a problem, and he can, he can finish early, and he can go late. Very, very dangerous. He comes in against Henry Cejudo. It's for the, the title. It's for the 135-pound Bantamweight Championship of the world. He's a minus-165 favorite in that spot. That's how much everyone's buying into Marlon, myself included. Marlon looks good. First round against Henry, he looks just like the first round he did in those other fights. The difference is he don't finish Henry in that first round. Second round, he starts to slow down massively. And in the third round, he's completely cooked. Henry puts it on him. The Jose Aldo fight, first round, he looks okay. Second round, he looks I. In the third round, man, he's tired again. He's tired again. And Jose Aldo, of all people, making his first ever cut to 135 pounds, is taking him into deep waters. Wins the third round over him. Well, geez, Marlon's, Marlon's gas tank just not holding up. And then the Corey Sandhagen fight, it's like, there's levels. And Marlon was always the top level, right? What do you compare him to? He's beaten all the best guys in the world. But now it seems like he's a tad bit, his speed's kind of left him. He's a tad bit short. He's hittable. His chin's not quite there. And it's a bad loss to a guy like Corey Sandhagen. Rob Font's not Corey Sandhagen. I would definitely favor Sandhagen in that matchup. But he's got a nice jab. He stays long. He's got good technical, crisp boxing. The difference is, I think Sandhagen's got a little more power. Uh, Rob Font hasn't really shown a whole lot of knockout power in his UFC tenure so far. He did knock out Thomas Almeida, but like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If he doesn't go out there and get Marlon's respect, then it's like it's a competitive striking match. And who wins in a competitive striking match? Between you two? Could be close. Could be close. But 125 on Rob Font. Like, honestly, I'm willing to take that shot. He's been off for a little while. He's 33. I don't know how many improvements he could have made. But we know that his, his his, technically he's sound. Technically, he's a good, sharp striker. He could work the body. He could just beat him with a punch and hurt him is what I'm hoping. But as far as the ground game goes, like, who knows? Rob, I think they're both black belts. I would prefer Marlon Moraes. I would say if he ends up on top of Rob Font, he's going to win the round. If he does win the first round, he wins the second round. Rob Font's not likely to come with that third-round KO. But based on the gas that we've seen from Marlon Moraes, if it ends up being a grappling affair, I imagine that's probably not good for him and as the fight wears on either. Yeah, and it's just it's so weird to me that a guy that used to routinely fight into later rounds and look good and kind of shine in that element is not able to do it anymore. But all of those fights, he was taking damage, you know? Like, I remember the Josh Hill fight. Like, he shatters his nose against Josh Hill, who was kind of definitely unproven at the time, ended up being an okay prospect, fights in Bellator now. But with Marlon, it's like... One has to wonder, fighting the elite guys, training at the elite level, going through everything, how much does that take out of you? I don't think he's on the chopping block, considering he just fought for a title a few fights back, but his record and as of late... managed by Ali. And he's managed by Ali, so his job is probably uh, very safe. Um, but yeah, like uh, this this is... I don't love this fight, but I'm going to define it as a dog or pass situation. And Rob Font, plus 125, I don't have a dog to this point. I've got three favorites. Actually, you know, Stephen Thompson's even money. I guess call it whatever you want it. Rob Font at plus 125, like, winnable fight for him. But he's definitely going to have to put the pressure on him, hurt him, sting him, and then secure those later rounds. That makes sense. Uh, 7,200 on DraftKings, I imagine Font will be one of the more. Uh, Marlon Moraes is just a little bit too expensive at 9K. 
Do you want to know the last thing yeah, I want to throw on that? That's kind of the price based on the odds. That just doesn't really fit where the odds are at. Do you want to know one thing else I want to throw on that? Is the Corey Sanhagen fight, right? You watch it. Nasty knockout, that wheel kick, by the way. But he hits Marlon. He points at him, and he says, I broke your orbital. And the fight's two months ago, right? So it's like, remember when you're talking about like things you can't train through? Like, did you, did, an orbital's a broken ice hockey, in case you don't uh, know. He didn't most break people his orbital. He's, he was messing with him. Yeah, but it's just like the guy's taken some work and to come off that knockout and then two months later you're back in the game, you know, technically knocked out by Henry as well. Like it's all damage and that's where I think he's slowing down and that's where I think Rob Font's going to be a bit of a problem. But again, yeah, it's just a dogger pass for me. We got Greg Hardy taking on Marcin Tybura. Greg Hardy, a minus 120 favorite. Tybura plus 100. Here we go. Here we go, Greg Hardy. These are we're starting to get back up into the uh, I know higher level of competition. I see a lot of people out there really like themselves some Marcin Tybura. I don't know. It's pretty. Int- Greg Hardy hasn't exactly historically been. You know, people think football player. Oh, this guy must be some sort of powerhouse, like first round finisher. He did that to some real like regional level scrubs at the beginning of his career. But that's those have always been the spots where Marcin Tybura has struggled the most. You know, Sakai absolutely flattened him in like under a minute. But I don't know that last fight for Tybura. I don't know if that was a product of Ben Rothball just being cooked, or Partly. Marcin Tybura has stepped up to a different level at this point in his career because uh, Greg Hardy has been pretty untested in terms of the grappling. If if you take him down, nobody really has. He's been matched up accordingly so that we haven't had to see those holes in his game. But Tybura takes him down here. I'm, I'm very, very curious to see what happens. Um, Tybura probably, you know, he throws some pretty lethal kicks. We've, we've seen those along the way. He's, for a big man, he's able to get that leg up there and on the button. It's a tough fight for Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy has looked very, very durable. Obviously went the distance against, uh, against uh, Volkov. I'm kind of leaning towards Marcin Tybura here, but they've been so strategic in in how they have booked Greg Hardy all along the way here that I'm interested to hear what you have to say before I make any sort of any sort of moves here. Matt, hit me with the what's the over one and a half? The over two and a half in the fight goes the distance. They actually, are, I, I was looking at that already. Yeah, I think that it was like seems... minus two oh five over two and a half. They didn't even price uh, a one yeah. and a half because I was looking for a yeah, one and a half. Well, that's the way to go. So right. uh, Hardy and Tybura over one and a half is minus one seventy five oh. over two and a half plus one hundred. Wow. Oh, see, I maybe like people that. have moved in on that. I was looking at those things earlier in the week, and I thought. I, I didn't see a one and a half even price. So the reason why you would go in that direction is that you look at Marcin Tabor, who's been on a little bit of a career resurgence, won his last three fights, but like decision and does not mind grinding you up against the cage. We've seen him just take down Spivak and control and We've seen him do the exact same thing against Max Grishin, against Ben Rothwell. You know, mixes it up a little bit, but just slows the pace down. They're all decision victories. How he's losing, you see he's getting knocked out. Craig Hardy's got that persona of the big knockout artist, knocked out a ton of guys prior to coming to the UFC. Did knock out Maurice Green in his last fight, but like not exactly a, a huge power puncher. I don't know if he's going to overextend himself looking for that knockout. I could see this being more of a grinding affair, a lot of cage work. And yeah, I think the over one and a half hits. I think there's a good possibility this fight's going to go the distance. Uh, it's got to be something like a Polish power thing, you know, like something in the water in Poland. Because Jan Blokowicz, 35 years old, I think, 
comes just out of left field and just reinvents himself. You know, starts his UFC run two and four, goes on a nice little run, and eventually captures a UFC light heavyweight title for his efforts. And, you know, it looks like a legitimate threat to a lot of the guys in the division, no doubt. I mean, he's the interim, technically. John Jones probably still beat him, but you get what I'm saying. With Marcin Tabora, like, he, I'd seen his interview with him where he was like, seeing Jan do that really inspired me. That's like, no, I can turn this around. At the end of 2019, yeah, he's fucking, he's getting knocked out by Shmiel Abdurakimov yeah, and Augusto Sakai. It's not looking good for him. The, the Sakai knockout especially, he looked fat. He looked out of shape. He got knocked out in 59 seconds. And it was widely speculated he was going back to KSW. But what does he do in 2020, a pandemic year? He rattles off three straight victories, right? He's undefeated this year. He's 3-0. This is his fourth fight. Keeping him routinely in camp, keeping him routinely in shape, keeping him routinely going rounds, he's ready to go. And in this fight, I would give him a slight striking advantage in that he's classically trained. Like you, Everybody remembers the Victor Pesta head kick where it's like, ho, oh, oh, where did that come from? But it's like, yeah, he's got. I think he used to be a karate guy way back in the day. He can lift that leg. His strikes, they're a lot straighter than Greg Hardy's. They don't have that type of zip. But like a lot of fighters that have had to adjust their games as age has kind of set in, he switched from being a striker to hold you up against the cage and grind you. And where that doesn't bode well for Hardy's, I don't know how he's going to continuously get his back off the cage, but he's got asthma, you know? He, he's, he's once known for getting himself a no contest from, from taking a puffer between rounds against Alan Crowder. I mean, he's a, defense, a former defensive lineman in the NFL. I think it's going to be a lot harder to hold him up against the cage than than maybe we've seen. I don't know. It's like, first down, Greg, go. Like, <gasps> and then it's done. It's just like, oh, shit. And it's just like, okay, sweet. Well, don't, all good, yeah, man. Over because, time. Right, yeah. because you sacked the guy. So they're, now there's two and 16, second and 16. So, Greg, go, go sit on the bench, and we'll put in the second string because they're second and 16, so we're good. Nickel and, formation. And then as soon as he sits on the bench, you know what they do? They strap on the oxygen, and they're like, good man, good man, Greg, good man. Now in the UFC, it's like you got to fight 15 minutes, and he can, but that's why I think this goes to decision because ATT's like, oh, dude, you need to pace yourself because you probably don't have the greatest gas tank. The Volkov fight, it goes the distance. It's only three rounds, but it's like it's, it's him pacing himself. It's him pacing himself. Volkov just ended up being the better technician, the longer fighter, more experience, and it shined through. Since then, Hardy's fought in a lot of green guys and a lot of guys that just didn't really have much to offer. Tybor is different than that, so... To be honest, Tybora falls into a similar situation as Stephen Thompson, where it's like he's a decent dog pick, only he's not a dog pick. He's plus 100. It's even money. I just, I, I've bet Greg Hardy quite a lot, and uh, I don't mind it. They match him up terribly. Yeah, we were on him against yeah. Green, even yeah. though he was a pretty big chalk favorite. We just didn't think Green really presented too many problems. And where that one screwed me up is the I leg thought kicks we would are get still an issue rounds. for him, too, but I don't know. Does. Tybura really commit to leg kicks all that much? Not really. I think Tybura will just strike, strike, clinch, strike, strike, clinch. And whereas you could tell me, well, is he not going to get tired the more he tries to grapple? It's like, I don't think so because he's been going 15. This is, again, his fourth fight this year, and he's highly motivated, right? Mm -hmm. It's a good spot to be in. It's another, again, dog or pass, but it's just not, there's not a whole lot of dog money there. So it is what it is. It's a 50-50 fight. I'm going to have to go with Tybura on this one. And we got Taylor Santos taking on your girl, Jillian Robertson, Minus 115, Santos. Minus 105, Robertson. Pretty much a straight pick. Um, who you got here? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting fight. I don't mind Jillian Robertson. Taylor Santos was supposed to fight, obviously, against uh, Montana De La Rosa. Fight gets scrapped. Mm -hmm. She just gets rebooked. 
But what I liked in that fight against Montana De La Rosa is that she had the wrestling background. She had the wrestling advantage that maybe she was able to take this fight to the ground. The way that we've seen Meryl Barella take down and out grapple Taylor Santos, like, why could Montana De La Rosa theoretically not do the same thing? Jillian Robertson doesn't have the same high school wrestling pedigree. I think Montana may have wrestled collegiately a little bit. She doesn't have, like, those credentials, but she's bigger and she's stronger and she's able to get these fights to the ground. She's a BJJ black belt. She trains at American Top Team. They always have really good game plans for her. One thing I don't like is that she tends, like... Five-inch reach disadvantage? And if she doesn't have her way, she tends to crumple a little bit. Like, her courage is not the highest. Like, she's not one of these people that'll gut out being down two rounds to try to pull something off for you. So what I don't want is that if Taylor Santos starts to resist her, that maybe she starts to fade. But it's like, I, I think ultimately this ends up being more of a grappling match. Jillian Robertson should be able to get the fight to the ground and should be able to outgrapple her. If Taylor Santos is able to stuff a few of these takedowns, keep the fight standing, use that five-inch reach advantage, and out striker, is Taylor Santos like a murderous knockout puncher? Like, no, not really. Like, would she be able to outpunch Jillian Robertson? Sure, yeah. Would she be able to bust her up? Yeah, sure. Could she win this fight? Yeah, definitely. Is is she the favorite at minus 115? Like, I, I, I don't know. I got to kind of lean with that, that other side. Again, there's no dog in this fight. This is one of the reasons why the bookie never loses, right? They got the juice. Yeah, because you can hit a 10 to 1 two weeks ago and then get fucking killed last week. It's the way the game goes. But obviously, a line like this where you've got minus 115 for Taylor Santos, minus 105 Jillian Robertson, you know, the bookie keeps the uh, the other bit. So, I mean, you lose either way. It's a close fight, I will admit. I think Jillian Robertson's grappling pedigree should be able to win her out outright. And then, uh, yeah, being at ATT, having that game plan, knowing you have a coaching staff that realizes how to break down Taylor Santos. Taylor, so far, has had a regional scene They wouldn't career. have had much time to put in, though, on that, right? No, but I think with Taylor, you can't watch any of the, her early fights, right? Because they're not, they're not readily available. Yeah. She's fighting 0-1 opponents on the Brazilian regional scene. So what can you go off of? You can go off of two fights in the UFC where she's the tail of two fighters, right? One of them looks awful, easy to get to, the, to take down, and you can easily grind her from top control. And that's, the other one against Molly McCann, she's doing it against Molly McCann. Now, let me ask you, is Taylor Santos going to come out and take down Jillian Robertson and grind her from top position? Like, I, I, don't I don't think, think that so. would be very wise right. based so on keep the fight where standing. her advantages are. Yeah, but. keep the fight standing and out strike her, right? That's the move. But it's like, she didn't want to strike with Molly McCann, who, by the way, she also had a massive reach advantage over. She wanted to take her down. Mm-hmm. She wanted to grapple. She got out grapple, and now she wants to grapple. So th- I haven't seen enough in the striking to tell you that that's a conceivable path of victory that she's definitely going to go out and do. Again, she's the favorite. I didn't really see it. I think the line opened up a lot higher for Taylor Santos and maybe is starting to even up. I- I'm not sure. I could be wrong on that. But uh, the play is going to be ever so slightly Jillian Robertson. Uh, we got Anthony Showtime Pettis taking on. I, I'm, I'm going to pick. I mean, I was going to bet uh, Montana De La Rosa last time out. It's women's MMA, dog. I mean, take your uh, pick your So, yeah, my pick is uh, Robertson as well, based on hopefully we get this fight to the mat and she fights the fight that she wants to fight. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, I don't feel too great about it. We got uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis taking on Alex Morono, minus 230 Pettis, plus 190 Morono. I don't know. I never really like Anthony Pettis as as a welterweight. That is... My big concern. He knocked here. out but the like, headliner. <laughs> that's, that is true. He it's didn't look so good bad. in that. No, fight, he looked though. awful. He was getting killed the entire he time. Awful. He beat uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Was that at 170 last time out? It was at 170. Yeah, yeah. yeah 170. I mean, but he's fighting 155 pounder at 170 pounds. Sure. Both guys kind of just agree. Hey, let's not cut weight. He yeah. doesn't give up too much size to Morono, to be perfectly honest. Like the reach is pretty comparable. 
Uh, they're both like 5'11", I believe. So it's not too big of a deal, but minus 230, end of the year. Anthony Pettis way down on the card. I don't know. I, I just don't feel great about going to the window and betting Anthony Pettis, but I am picking him to win here. I think he's just the more technical striker, and we know that he is a, he's a, he's a dog. He's a warrior. Um, for the most part, unless somebody puts it on him really, really early on. Maybe Morono's the guy to come, come do that, but technically I just feel like Anthony Pettis has just a lot more skills, flash, speed, all of that. So Pettis is the pick. Haven't added him to anything yet. I mean, I haven't even bet anything yet. Still licking my wounds from Jacare last week. Yeah, uh, there's no world that exists that I'm betting Anthony Pettis. Uh, minus 230, even over a guy like Alex Morono. And you know me, Paul. You know I'm not an Anthony Pettis guy. And it's not just hate for Anthony Pettis. It's just beyond that, his skills are extremely diminished. And I am going to sit here and argue with you, his skills weren't really all that good to begin with. Let me take you all the way back to his WBC career, right? He had lost to my actual boy, Bart Polishewski. Split decision, shout out to Bart. Bartimus, doesn't fight anymore. The, the, the fucking, he's, he's known for one kick, the Showtime kick. He runs around the cage, he kicks Benson Henderson in the face. Well, people don't remember that was a five-round fight that I had to score for Benson Henderson prior to that Showtime kick. Even with that, I thought Benson Henderson probably should have won, but it was such a cool kick that, like, how can you not score for him? So Pettis gets it. His UFC debut against Clay Guida, he got taken down, he got out-grappled, he, he lost. He lost his UFC debut after the Showtime kick, the very next fight. This big spectated moment. Anthony Pettis, so badass. But it's just his wins, right? Like, he would beat guys, and he would look okay, and it was flashy, and he did beat a different generation's top guys. Donald Cerrone was a top guy. Joe Lozon was a top guy. Benson Henderson was a top guy. Gilbert Melendez was a top guy. Do you know what they all have in common? They're all done. Joe Lozon's retired. He had a, he had a cool walkout moment in Boston. That's cool for him. Donald Cerrone's definitely at the end of the line. Benson Henderson, we just seen him over in Bellator. He's shot to bits. He's not the same guy anymore. Gilbert Melendez. Funny enough, Anthony Pettis lost that first round to Gilbert Melendez and then caught him in a guillotine. But he, he's retired. You know, he's got a commentating gig now. It's a different era. The Rafael Dos Anjos fight, that was the moment where it was like, oh, shit, he got thrashed. He lost a 50-45. He got his eye socket broken. His orbital broke as well. But it was pressure. It was pressure, pressure, pressure. All of a sudden, where was the flashiness? Where was all the technical striking, right? You just pressure this guy and take him down. The very next fight against Eddie Alvarez, he just does the same thing. I'll just pressure you, pressure, and take you down. And it wins him the fight. You can't throw the kicks when you're on your back foot. Edson Barbosa. Now, I remember people being like, dude, he's just too technical for Edson Barbosa. It's like, yeah, the difference is that Edson Barbosa is a pressure fighter, and Anthony doesn't want to be pressured. He wants to fight you the way he fought Benson. He wants to fight you the way he fought Gil. He wants to fight you the way he fought uh, Donald Cerrone, where you're backing up like, oh, shit, it's Anthony Pesci. He's like, I didn't give a fuck. They moved forward on him. They pressured him. He's losing those fights. The Charles Oliveira fight, he's actually losing the fight until Charles pulled a back door, which he doesn't do anymore. The Max Holloway fight, he's completely outclassed. You were at that fight live. It, he was never in it. He looked awful. It was this, like, bummed fight down to 145. The Jim Miller fight, he did not look good. The Dustin Poirier fight, he had a rib injury. The Tony Ferguson fight, he broke his hand. The Stephen Thompson fight, he's backing up the entire time before landing one strike. The Nate Diaz fight, he got completely outgrappled by Nate Diaz, pillar to post. His striking did look good in that fight, but it, it didn't matter because, like, he'd hit Diaz twice and he'd just get taken down. The Diego Ferreira fight, it showed you. I was like, dude, Diego Ferreira's older than you, and his skills are modern. He has modern skills. You do not have modern skills. 
And then the Donald Cerrone fight is a win. Gets him back in the win column. You rewatch it, he probably lost. It's not exactly a spectacular victory for him. So at 170, I think his best days were at 55. Mm-hmm. He tried to make 145. Why? Because he knew, you know what? I can't do it at 55 anymore. Comes up to 170 and has had relatively no success, but shows a win over Stephen Thompson, shows a win over Donald Cerrone, don't really want to cut weight no more, winning some fights at 170. Why not? And should he be the favorite? Yeah, he should because he's fighting Alex Morono. But should he be a 230 favorite over Alex Morono? No. And so this is why Alex Morono doesn't have the skills that all those other guys do, but why he could still be victorious is he's a pressure guy. And whereas Chaos Williams knocked him into next week, Anthony Pettis is not going to do that. So he's coming off a win over Riz McKee. And how do you go from fighting Riz McKee to fighting Anthony Pettis? Well, it's the same game plan. You need to pressure this guy. You need to out-volume. You need to stay in his face. And why not? Because I didn't think he could do it. He never wrestles anybody. But against Riz McKee, he actually wrestles for the first time. And he mm-hmm. takes him down. And in the post-fight, he goes, I hit this guy so many times standing. I was thinking to myself, what do I got to do to take him out? And then I took him down, and I was like, this is a lot easier. Well, you're a BJJ black belt. You're a decent grappler. And you know what? Whereas I'd say your wrestling is not good enough to take down Anthony Pettis, everybody that wants to take down Anthony Pettis conceivably does. So Morono's live in that he could throw in a takedown and get on top, but he's also live in that he could just stay in his face and work him. And yet, could he get caught? Sure. Is Anthony Pettis going to catch him with that spectacular highlight reel KO? I don't think so. I think Anthony Pettis is going to go join brother Sergio Pettis on the Bellator roster starting in 2021. If he actually wants to fight. And the last thing we got going for us, and this is a good thing, is that Anthony will probably have Duke Rufus in his corner, which means high likelihood Duke just throws in the fucking towel at some point and is just like, we're out of here. So uh, double, double path of victory for a plus 190 favorite, or underdog. Sign me up for Alex Morono, who I realize is Alex Morono, but I still think has a chance to win this fight. All right, dog or pass. I know, you're, you're straight up, let's go on Alex Morono. I'm trying to think of guys in the division that I'd pick Anthony Pettis over. Riz McKee. There's a common guy. If they used to fight him, maybe he would get the victory. But Morono is like, this is his Super Bowl. This is the sweetest thing that's ever happened to this guy in his life. He has a a former champion. He has a chance to go get a career highlight win. He has a chance to go get a career payday. He has a chance to maybe get a fight of the night because it is flashy Anthony Pettis and really put himself on the map. Anthony Pettis, meanwhile, must realize he's hitting rock bottom. Probably drinking a couple red stripes as well, <laughs> thinking to himself, what the fuck happened, man? But I'll tell you what happened. Probably last fight on the deal. Let's go to Bellator. Sergio looks good in Bellator. Didn't look good in the UFC. Looks good in Bellator. Let's go reinvigorate ourselves over there. We got uh, Sajara Eubanks taking on Panny Kianzad. Eubanks minus 160. Kianzad plus 140. You got any takes on this one? I would say Panny Kianzad is another live underdog. This might be a card where a lot of underdogs are coming through. I say that... Um, She's the bigger girl, and you know what? She's made a lot of improvements, but one of them, namely, is that she's a lot harder to take down. Now, if you remember him back in the day in Invicta, she's strong. She's a good, aggressive striker, comes forward. But at some points, like, she starts getting taken down. Her striking style is not great against grapplers, doesn't match up. You see her in the Ultimate Fighter. She looks good in the Ultimate Fighter, makes the finals against Macy Chason, and then, you know, Macy Chason, there's that 145 pounds that fight was. Chason, bigger, stronger, able to take her down, able to submit her. The wins, the losses since then, she lost to Julia Avila, and then she beat Jesse Jess Rose Clark and Betch Gohea. But what I'm taking away from it is that like, she's making improvements still. She's a lot harder to take down. She's a better striker, and she's big. So when you look at the Macy Chase on loss, she's a 145-pounder. But she stuffed a lot of those takes. Ah, I guess Macy Chase on is just too big for her, so to speak. If she keeps this fight standing against Eubanks, she's going to have the striking advantage, no doubt. 
It's whether Eubanks is able to take her down. The reason why I'm kind of leaning towards Kanzad being that live underdog is that she has a significant striking advantage, mm-hmm. and she's giving up the grappling. But being that she used to fight at 145 pounds on the Ultimate Fighter, being that she has fought largely at 135 pounds and looks big for the weight class, Eubanks is a little bit... She's overachieving a little bit at 135 Eubanks pounds. Eubanks has had gas issues. If she can't control the action pillar to post. And she's had gas issues. And then this is, this is why MMA is just... Uh, from a betting perspective, it's such a great sport, right? So everyone's writing off Eubanks. Oh, this girl's got gas issues. She can't, she can't fight until later rounds. Her skill set is not, you know, uh, keeping up with the times. And she lost to Betch Kohea. Her career's over. She drops to four and four. It's over. But you fight Sarah Moross, where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you could, you could beat Sarah Moross. And then the Julia Vila fight, she's a big underdog. I, I'm, I'm all in on Julia Vila. I don't think that Eubanks got a shot. And she looks really good. And now just like she's everybody's darling again. Like this is a legitimate title contender. I don't think so. I think her best chance of getting to the highest peak of the mountain was she was supposed to fight Valentina. She got scheduled for a fight with Valentina, right? She was supposed to headline some pay-per-view against Valentina Shevchenko, and she pulled out, and then the fight never got booked, and it never will get booked again at this point. But she had that little bit of momentum. She beats Avila. She got a little bit, a little bit going. And then the Ketlin Vieira fight, like, it's just like, she loses soundly. Vieira had a bit of a layoff, came back. She had actually just lost to Irene Aldana, took on some time off, came back and, like, looked career best. Eubanks is who we think she is. Well, Eubanks struggled because she was taking on Ketlin Vieira, who was considerably bigger than her. Yeah, and it's like, because she used to be the just the biggest 125er out there, that's her natural advantage. Team Lloyd Irvin, great grappler, decent wrestling, but it's more so just, if I can get you to the ground and establish top control on you, you're going to be in trouble. The Avila fight, it's like her striking looked a little bit better. The Aspen Ladd fight, her striking looked not very good, but good enough to look good against Aspen Ladd, her striking is awful. It's like you, you do see those little glimpses. It's just like she has trouble putting it together for 15 minutes over larger opponents. With Panny, Panny is going to be the bigger opponent. I could see Eubanks going out there and taking, taking her down, but I think it's going to be tougher than that. I think it's going to be a little more difficult to just take down Panny Kianzat at will. And if she doesn't and this fight ends up being stand-up, then it's like, okay, Panny's got the striking advantage. She's probably got a slight cardio advantage, and she's probably going to be able to just you know move forward and kind of ha- have her way a little bit, at least certainly on output, right? So that's the last thing I want to mention with Panny Kianzad is you look at that last fight against Betch Gohea and she lands 103 significant strikes. It's, it, it's nice, you know? It's just constant output, constant work. Cardio checks out. It's a good performance. The fight before, before that with Jesse Jess Rose Clark, 98 significant strikes landed. Just outworks this girl. When Jesse Jess, who's big and strong, by the way, tries to take her down, she just, she just snuffs the attempts. The Avila fight, she never got taken down. In fact, she got a takedown on Julia, which is surprising enough. And the Macy Chase on fight, she got choked out, but she never did get taken down. So takedown defense hasn't really been one of her issues so far in the UFC. And if it's not an issue in this fight, keep it standing. She, the output's going to win her out the day. So, again, if it's 50-50, I don't really want to pardon it. If she's slight favorite, I don't want to pardon it. But you're giving me a good price tag on Panny Kianza at plus 140. And so Panny Kianza at plus 140, fight goes the distance. Panny Kianza by decision, all plus money. Pretty sure the fight goes to prop at Matt. Fight goes to the decision on Eubanks Kianza. It's pretty juiced. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, it's all the way up to minus three twenty five. Wow. And like so the over what's, is like minus four hundred over two the, and a half rounds. Over one and a half is minus six fifty. Over two and a half juiced, is minus sure. three seventy. What's Panny by decision? Because she's plus one forty straight. Uh, if it's no better than plus one sixty, I would just take her straight up. 
I mean, it's plus 140 straight up. Why wouldn't you just take that? Well, it depends what the by decision is, but it's probably, being that she's more of a decision fighter. Probably plus 300. Plus 190. Ew. Um, no, thank you. Yeah, probably not overly worth it. <laughs> if, unless you're a degen. There's 14 fights. You don't have to bet every single one. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, we'll see how many hold together. Yeah, let's hope Let's hope we have at least 12. I think another but two. I think, I think, I think another Kenny's two are probably going to pull out. And this next one, I'd seen some people talking about rumors of this one maybe not happening. Well, hopefully that's all fake news. But we got Carl Roberson taking on Delka Lungiambula. Uh, Dalka champion, we're going to refer Dalka to him. Dalka champion. Lungyambula. Which is, you know, how he likes to be referred to. That's what his his social media has and everything like that. Uh, Roberson, minus 255 favorite Dalka can be had. Dalka champion can be had for plus 215. I mean, Dalka and EFC used to fight at heavyweight, and he was big. He was strong. Super, super, like, way too short, giving up a lot of, you know, reach and intangibles to other people. Moves down to 205. Looks like a fucking beast. Jacked. Super jacked. Absolute jacked. I mean, Ankle Eye, I've watched that, rewatched that Ankle Eye fight, and like, I mean, he was outclassed. Um, especially when Ankle Eye was able to take him down and get on top. He ends, ends up eating that, like, front kick up the middle. But anybody who's watched this show knows yeah. that, like, we are super high on Magomed Ankle Eye. Like, that guy could. He could do it all. He could probably win the belt. In this division, he could, yeah, honestly, honestly, be, right he, now, I think he's I think, a top five guy. I think he's right in the mix. I don't. I'm not going to say that he's going to win the belt. It's the weakest. It's the weakest get, division in the UFC. Yeah, well, I don't know when he's going to get that opportunity, but he's right there with the top guys, in my opinion. So you know, he got to the round three against him. All good in the hood. Um, Carl Roberson. Most of his losses usually end up happening that. You know, they get into grappling exchanges, and he gets choked out. I don't see that being a big-time threat from Langyambula. I think Roberson has the more, uh, obviously has the more, um, you know, refined kickboxing, striking. But phew, Dalka at 185, like, this guy is going to just be, like, there was, there's, like, Cannoneer who was, like, kind of big, out of shape when he was at heavyweight. And then yeah, 205, right. you know, you got a little bit better. And then 185, you're like, this guy's jacked. Like, Lungi Ambula already looked like super jacked at heavyweight. L- light heavyweight looked incredibly jacked. Strip another 20 pounds off of that guy and watch out. He's going to be super, super strong. The, t- the striking technique is not ex- is nowhere close to the level of Roberson. I understand why Roberson is the favorite in this spot, but... Um, if I had to bet, I think it would be a dogger pass situation here. I think Delka is just, especially at 185. We'll see what he looks like when he shows up on the scales. But this guy's this guy's super super strong. He's gonna be, he's gonna definitely have a strength advantage. He's a former judo guy. I don't like the grappling that I see. Like I don't think Roberson's in danger of getting submitted if they do get to the ground, but. I don't know. There could be... I think Dalka's definitely live here, and Roberson's going to have to mind his P's and Q's. Roberson should be able to control the striking while they're on the feet most of the time, but it really only takes one. And I'm kind of terrified to think of what Delka's going to look at look like at 185. What's your take here? Yeah, well, see, you got to watch the weigh right? What yeah. is Dalka going to look at at 185? Because not only did he used to fight at heavyweight, and not only was he shredded at 205, like, big, thick guy, he's 35 years old. So it's a bit of odd timing about, like, why at 35 would you now decide 
And you and I have talked about this for years, right? 55 to 45, 10 pounds. 45 to 35, 10 pounds. 35 to 25, 10 pounds. 205 to 85 is 20 pounds, dog. You're not dropping one weight class. You're dropping two weight classes. It's a lifestyle change. He's 35 years old. And he didn't look like he had much to lose. Dude, you see the traps on him? Like, you seen the arms on him? You seen the neck on the guy? Like, he's a big, thick dude. He doesn't have a neck. Oh, yeah. Because he's a big, thick dude. (laughs) How do you now drop down to 185? You need to lose some of the muscle mass. Mm -hmm. If you lose some of the muscle mass, are you the same guy that got you to the dance? And to that extent, he reminds me of uh, Abdul Razak al-Hassan, right? I think they're both judo black belts. And they're bangers, man. They both like to go in there. They're both athletic enough guys. They're both supremely jacked, and they like to try to end this fight as quick as they can with a knockout. The longer you can extend them, the longer that they're going to have holes in the game. As far as them being judo black belts... I think they're, they, yeah, they can, they have some judo. Once they're on the ground, they don't got great BJJ. No. Like, they kind of look fish out of the water. And that's what my problem is in this Carl Roberson fight, is that Carl Roberson is also fish out of the water when the fight hits the ground. But, you know, maybe we can give him a pass in that he's losing to the Cesar Ferreras of the world on the ground, who's a, a credible BJJ black belt. He's losing to the Glover Teixeiras of the world, who's a credible BJJ black belt, and a 205-pound man, right? He's losing to the Marvin Vittori's of the world, whereas most people probably wouldn't have thought that was too impressive until about two weeks ago when it's like, oh, shit, this guy's a top five guy in the division, right? Mm-hmm. So Robertson has grappling problems, no doubt about it. But does he have striking problems? No, no. He's a former glory kickboxer. He actually took a short-nosed debut, his kickboxing debut against Jerome LeBanner in France, beat Jerome LeBanner. You're not going to get a decision in France over the GOAT, so he loses, sure. But it's like right from the get-go, it's like, okay... He didn't look good in glory. He lost to Justin Jacoby and Michael Amara. They're both regional, American regional show guys. But you see where it's like striking's on a different level compared to a lot of MMA strikers, right? Like he's going to be able to intercept these guys. He's going to be able to set traps. He's going to be able to see a lot of stuff coming. Where What's giving him trouble is that these guys are just plowing to the ground and taking him down. When I look at this fight with Dolce, it's like Dolce might have the grappling advantage, right? But he's not going to use it. He's going to try to stand there and bang with them. Yeah, and if you try to bum forward on Carl Roberson and bomb him, you're going to get caught, man. Like, he's the better striker in the spot. you got to grind him. you got to take him down. I don't think I can trust Dolce to actually do that. So I would lean uh, I would lean towards Carl Robertson. Stuff. It's a dangerous spot. And I know where you're saying live dog, 255 Carl Robertson. It should be, we should be confident in this. This should be nearly a walk in the park. It's like, ooh, there's a lot more question marks than that. But if it you ends up being a striking battle. You make any. Yeah, that's fair. That's he fair. could just, I don't know. It's a... Uh... Del- the problem, yeah, the problem with Delco is I've seen like one submission uh, from like early, early in his career against some like nobody scrub, and he gets an arm bar, and the guy's still kind of like moving around. He's able to hold it, and it's like a lot of his takedowns, it's purely on strength. It's not exactly technique. He just barges forward, and he's just able to outmuscle people to the ground. Like maybe he's able to do that against Roberson but Roberson does have a much better skill set all the way around. Do you want to know a crazy stat which is like I don't know how to I don't know how to say it without someone taking it the wrong way. But uh, like Dolce is one of these like freaking natures, right? Where he's 5 foot 8 with a 76 inch reach. It's mm-hmm. nuts. How he fought at heavyweight? I don't know. How he fought at light heavyweight? I don't know. He's only 5 foot 8. Middleweight's the class for him. And with the 76 range, it's like right on. Unfortunately, it's like the dude you're fighting six foot one and has a pretty similar reach and is a much better kickboxer. So, like, what do you do? You're right, though. Gotta watch the weigh ins. 
now you could say Dogger Pass. I'm going to say Carl Robertson. I do not like the price. And the 9,300, don't really like that on DraftKings, but we'll talk about that later on. Yeah, Logan Bulo was able to take, until the perfect, like, up kick right up the middle, he was able to take a lot of punishment. So I, I don't think he's going to get starched in the first round by Roberson, and that's for that 93 price tag when we talk about DraftKings. That's what I would kind of need from him. All right, we move on down. We've got a catchweight affair against, uh, between Duran Wynn and Antonio Arroyo. Arroyo is minus 155 favorite. Wynn is plus 135. Catchweight 195. Eh? Yeah, I know, eh? Such bum stuff Red out of Duran Wynn. Duran Wynn's always pulled Deron his Wynn, bum-ass moves. He should be... World champion. <laughs> he should, he should be. be, at the very <laughs> yeah, least, yeah. able to make 185. No, no. This guy can't do nothing. He's just so... He's just... Too small, undersized, doesn't have the gas. Maybe those extra 10 pounds that he's going to be carrying into this fight. Maybe that helps him to be able to utilize that wrestling that, you know, DC has told us all about. But uh, it's hard to trust a guy who you think, you know what, I think his best, best path to victory here is to secure takedowns, keep this dirty, you know, ground and pound, do that type of thing. Well, if you can't do that for three rounds and I'm not convinced that you really have finishing finishing power, it's tough to trust you. So I suppose my pick here is Antonio Arroyo, but I don't I don't love this fight. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I will be the first to admit, I can't laugh at you for liking Deron Wynn. I like Deron Wynn. I thought this guy had legitimate skills because DC... <laughs> Every time he talks about him, right? Fucking wrestling's so good. Khabib's boys come over from Russia, and it's like, Duran wins the American hitman. He's the guy that wrestles these guys on the mats to show them, like, what's up? USA knows how to wrestle, too. He's got great credentials, right? Problem is, I guess similar to Adolka, it's like, he's not fighting in the right weight class. He's five foot eight, And you know what? He's fighting at middleweight, which is funny, because that's what Dalka's coming down to. But it's like he's just, he's undersized in there every single time. So it's like, well, how's this boxing? And again, I drank the Kool-Aid. How's this boxing? Not very good. But prior to coming to the UFC, it looked okay. It doesn't look like he has any pow, right? He's got no pop in those punches. He ain't going to go knock you out. But he's got some decent enough hands. The fight with Tom Lawler is on that Liddell Ortiz 3 pay-per-view. Oh, my God. Why did I buy that? But I did. And it's like Deron Wynnum is one of the, like, bright points. Like, Tom Lawler's UFC, uh, he's released from the UFC at this point, clearly. His best days are behind him. Can't take a punch. And, like, that was one takeaway. It was like, wh- why didn't Duran win knock out Tom Lawler? Like, why did he win a decision? Oh, well, doesn't matter. Comes to the UFC against Eric Spicely. Well, you know, know what I sound like? If you can go back and listen to that show, I sound like... <laughs> just like DC, right? Because it's like, he's going to kill Eric Spicely. He's only a minus 285 favorite, which is a gift from the gods. And, like, you know something? He did win. But he didn't look good against Eric Spicely. Fight went the decision, as they always do with Duran Wynn. It doesn't seem like he's got any finishing abilities. But it's like he hit him with everything in the kitchen sink and couldn't knock him out. And then he himself took a lot of damage in that fight against someone who he's a 3-1 to favorite over, who had no business being in there with him. He made Eric Spicely look good. And then all of everything he's done since then is just like a massive decline, you know? Darren Stewart. Darren Stewart beating you. This guy can't wrestle. This guy's, you know, a, a British striker. But it's like, Deron Wynn can take you down. He can take down anybody in this division. He doesn't seem to be able to hold down anybody in this division. It, they're just useless takedowns. And the, the Mearshart fight's even more of a piss-off because the takedowns are beautiful. And it's like, Mearshart just gets up. 
Mm-hmm. This guy can't hold him down. Now when the striking happens, remember we were saying Dolce was a freak of nature? Dude, it's five foot eight. He's got a 76-inch reach. Okay, well, to put things into perspective, Duran win. I didn't even know this until just now. I'm shocked that I didn't know that. That seems wrong to me. Apparently, Fight Metric says he's actually five foot six. That seems fucking off. No, that seems about right to me. Yeah, doesn't he's it? way way five foot six. Damn, he looks I, like you're learning new things every day. All looks, I do is watch like fights. Like All I do is know world, these guys. The How world's biggest midget, man. Like he's he's just he's got that he's got such damn. a weird body type. Yeah, that's whack. That's, that's whack. why it's shocking that like one eighty five. I mean, one seventy is probably. But he's built like DC. Yeah. Big fat belly on him, you yeah. know, and it just doesn't look like he could ever be ripped. He looks thick, two C's, you know, like just like one of these guys that that's I mean, the way. Five he's foot built. six, even at one seventy, it's just like you're giving up five inches of or five or four to five inches of height against everybody. Yeah, and you know what? He's got a seventy inch reach, right? So again, it's like not a Dolce, where it's like, well, I'm I'm not the tallest guy, but I've got a nice little reach on me. It's just like, no, nah, he's got a small little reach, a middleweight with a seventy inch reach. Like you just you don't hear that shit. No. And so his hands are okay, but he's got no power and he's got no distance. And his wrestling is awesome, but he, he can't hold you down. And, he's and his cardio's poor. Yeah. So he can't keep chain wrestling the whole fight. He's got a lot of problems on his hands. Now, the UFC's done him a favor because they like DC and because they are tired of hearing gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> They've given him at least a winnable fight here in Arroyo. Actually, it's a short notice replacement. Deron Woom is supposed to take on Antonio Braga Nito. Same Which thing that applies. was that was <laughs> this is a harder fight that they gave him in the fall. This is a harder fight because Braga. That was the is, layup uh, that they had given him. He's Frankenstein. He's got no mobility. You mm-hmm. know, he just walks right in, and he's a jiu-jitsu guy. With you're not going to go and take down Duran Win early, especially. Uh, Gerald Mirshar had to work him to get the to get him down. Yeah, Nito wasn't going to do that. Antonio Arroyo, he's a bit of a left-field guy because I thought he was a good grappler, right? When I seen him on Contender Series, it seemed like he had okay grappling with decent enough striking. When he took on Andre Muniz, I thought his grappling might be good enough to try to keep this fight into his element, which is be the better striker. Andre Muniz is not a very good striker. Keep the strike. He, he had no ability to keep it where he wanted it. Muniz just took him down at will. Duran Wynn will take him down at will. Of course, the problem is if Duran Wynn takes him down at will and doesn't do anything with it, which he generally doesn't, then Royo's just going to get back up. And then when the fight is up, then he's just going to beat him to the punch. Now, theoretically speaking, Darren Stewart and Jeremy Urshart are both better than Antonio Royo. It's how he looked against them, which was like absolutely abysmal. So now he's an underdog. First time ever they're going to give you some underdog play on Duran Win, And it's like, do you take it? Like, do you take it on the basis of like everybody in AKA is telling you there's something there? Or do you just pass on the basis of, like, I've seen it? Who's even at AKA right now? Yeah, that's a good point. Nobody. So for that reason, I'm going to have to say, you know what? I always say uh, it's either I'm going to take the favorite or it's a, I'm going to take the underdog or it's a dogger pass. And then the last option, of course, is a flat pass. And I haven't even taken one yet, but this is my flat pass. I honestly think Duran Wynn could beat Antonio Arroyo, but I, I can't back him anymore. I can't put my hard-earned money on this guy anymore. So that's a pass. And Arroyo, I'd love to fade Jerron Win. Why not? But it's like, is he the guy? Is he the guy where am I going to walk into a trap? So hit me on a flat pass on that fight. Yeah, and fair enough. Well, plenty of books for your uh, for your parlays that you throw it every week. Plenty of books won't even let you put more than like. Yeah, that one ain't going to be on. They <laughs> won't even let you put twelve fights on a on a parlay at, at lots of places. Hit so. me with the fight starts round three real quick. If Matt Bess has got it open. Prop it, Matt. Yeah, Duran win, Antonio Arroyo. We're giving it a scroll. Fight starts round three. If it's got an available line. 
It might not. Oh, there we go. Minus 155. Fight starts round three. Well, it's going to start round three, but is minus 155 the best price tag? Not bad price tag, really. You know what? That's better. That's better than betting minus 155. What's his line straight up? Right. I would much rather take fight starts round three than betting Antonio Arroyo. And with Duran win, it's like, the, yeah. fool me once, you know what? I like fool that. me twice. Why am I going to let this guy Fight fool me three Fight starts round three, I really like that because yeah. the biggest concern with win is that he's going to get gassed. He seems pretty durable. He seems like he can take it. The, the issue is maybe he gets finished in round three because he's super tired from chasing these takedowns. And if he does win, it's going to be a decision. That's how he fights. He's yep. a decision machine. If he wins, he's going to win a decision. If he loses, he's either going to lose a decision or lose in the third round. Mm-hmm. So fight starts round three, covers you both sides. And he doesn't really have a neck because he's so short. So he's, he's not. I don't think he's going to get choked out yeah I, fair spots enough. either and his, his arms are also stumpy and like it's you can't really get any leverage on that shit well, he's built like a little tree stub that's for damn 100%. sure 100 all right we got draco rodriguez taking on eamon zahabi draco rodriguez is a minus 190 favorite zahabi can be half plus 165 rodriguez seems to be on the regional scene and in his contender series fight, a bit of a submission specialist. Um, Zahabi, I mean, it has not been a great run for him oh. in the UFC. Obviously, the last two times out. The last one off the top of my head was uh, I watched his most recent fight, which was uh, Vince Morales. Him versus Vince Morales. And we've seen where Vince Morales is, is in comparison to the rest of the people at the 135 pound weight division and. I mean, he did not look great in that spot, Morales. No. I got Morales, things to say about this Morales guy. really pushed up on him. Now, Drago Rodriguez, it's tough, it's tough finding tape on him for the most part. Watch the Contender Series yeah. fight. King of the Cage makes you pay to watch the replays. Um, I, I think you got you to gotta pick Draco here. I, I don't love, you know, jumping on these Contender Series guys as favorites in their debut, but I think the... Zahabi, I think, is more of like a trainer at this point in his career. I don't know how committed he is to the fight game. Um, You know, they're doing stuff at TriStar still. They don't have the same bodies rolling through there that they used to. I'm sure during COVID times, it's only the local guys that would be even training at the gym right now. I look through his Instagram. I creep through his Instagram a little bit. Good stuff. It's all family stuff and all that. Didn't see very much of, you know, Eamon's in the gym putting in the grind uh i'll pick draco here do you think draco gets the sub like where 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 are you going with this one anyway no on the submission i think if anything he's able to maybe knock him out late or preferably pick up that decision but uh see what you got to read about draco is when draco originally signed with the ufc two years ago when king of the cage kiboshed it one of the big reasons why uh terry treblock was like i'm not letting this guy go with ufc he's like he has no jujitsu he's a white belt Mm-hmm. Eamon Zahabi is a black belt. So if this fight hits the ground, it figures to be in Eamon Zahabi's corner. When we have seen Draco against uh, Tony Gravely, for example, it's like he's not grappling with Tony Gravely. He's mm-hmm. getting taken down routinely, outgrappled routinely. So does he win the fight? Good possibility. Does he submit Eamon Zahabi? No, I don't, I don't think so. Maybe he gets him out late with the strikes. Maybe takes a decision. Eamon Zahabi's got a weird story, right? He was at once supposed to be one of the greatest Canadian prospects of all times. You know, maybe the next GSP. He's, I remember seeing him. He is the youngest brother. I'll get to that. That's a great Slam story. Slam one. That's a great story. I'm getting to that. He is the younger brother of famed trainer to the stars, Faraz Zahabi, who if, if you had never heard the name GSP before, you would have never heard the name of Faraz Zahabi. You know, he made him. But this is the younger brother. And the story that we kept hearing in the walls at Fight Network 
was that Eamon Zahabi, in a training session anyways, had completely killed Yves Jambouin, Nick Denis, and Miguel Torres in like one after another, bang, bang, bang. Now, people that have been tuning into this, there are a lot of golf fans from Pat's show, a lot of guys that started watching fights a few years ago. Nick Denis fought in the UFC, you know, he was a good striker. He ended up, he was so smart, he realized like getting hit in the head for a living wasn't a good idea, so he bailed pretty early. Yves Jambouin was an early TKO specialist. He fought in the WEC, did make it to the UFC as well. Miguel Torres is the former WEC champ. These guys were all guys. They were all good bodies. Amos was supposed to be something. So he takes two amateur fights. One of them, he fought a friend of mine, Derek Charbonneau, wins the fight over Charbonneau, right? Rear naked choke, submits him, no big deal. <laughs> then you and I... I remember Charbonneau. <laughs> yeah, of course. Robin you fought Charbonneau. Robin fought Charbonneau. Charbonneau. On this card, slam one. Mm-hmm. We loaded up a van, headed down to Quebec. It wasn't even Montreal. It was a greasy part of Quebec, wasn't it? I mean, it was outside of Montreal. It was mont Hilaire. <laughs> So we load up this van and we head down there. And it's called Slam One, but what it is is free win for TriStar guys, yeah. right? Well, we're going to find uh, fighters that haven't won a fight to take on TriStar fighters to pump these records. It's That's headlined, basically what was happening. It's headlined by Alex Garcia, who then went on to the UFC. The co headliner was Olive Obey Mercier, who then went to the UFC. Amos Ahabi was third fight down. It also, very, uh, Mario Pereira never made it anywhere. Ryan Hall was on the card, who then may went to the UFC. Mandel Nalo was on the card, who is now a standout in Bellator. And Robin Black was on the card against Derek Charbonneau. Mm-hmm. So we've seen Eamon. Eamon goes in and takes on a guy by the name of Kyle Vivian. Who I had <laughs> seen earlier in the day smoking cigs. Smoking like cigs. Like outside of the hotel. <laughs> the guy's 0-8. Great, great duster on his uh, topology profile. Oh, yeah. He's got, a good, he's got a good profile picture. I mean, he was there to do a job, and he did the job well. He's smoking cigs. He lasts a minute, 28 seconds. Mm-hmm. He actually also fought Sergio Pettis in Alberta, uh, Manitoba, I think. No, you go through his record. It's just like... <laughs> he doesn't he, even fucking fight anybody. Yeah, yeah. If you give him like five grand, he, he's game. So he wins that. And I remember we watched, and we all had a laugh. Remember, I spilled a beer on Rory McDonald's buddy. They were th- oh, was, that's a story for another day. But anyways, we have a great time. We go. Won't get into the details of that night. But it was just like a cool little win for Eamon. But then his next fight, he fought Philip Deschambeau. It was four and six. Whatever. It's only a second fight. And then his next fight, he fought Wesley Bowman, making his debut. Scott Farhat, seven and eight. Jeremy Dichiara, who had a very ballooned up two and zero record, and he's fighting like once a year. But we had heard about this guy all the way back in 2012 killing three UFC veterans in, in, in the same half hour at the gym in TriStar. Mm-hmm. Why is it that he keeps fighting losing record guys in like once a year? Beats nobody. Apparently his brother just, his brother knew. This guy's not ready. And to the effect of Derek Charbonneau, because we'll bring him back one more time. They tried to book a pro fight with Derek Charbonneau after. And you can see Tapology listed as canceled bout. Charbonneau backed off. Why would you want to fight this guy again? You fought him as an amateur. He never wanted... Derek Charbonneau is like 0-8 as an amateur and 0-1 and as a pro. Why are you trying to fight this guy as a pro? So Charbonneau... Robin is only pro fight? His only pro fight. And yet Zahabi tries to fight him after Robin had already fought him. Why is that the fight that you're looking for? But... but Pad the record. Faraz did not want to test this kid. Never wanted to test this it's kid. His Not brother. once. It's his brother. So he just lets the kid mature a little too long, right? Now from 2012 to his debut in 2017, he's been five years on the regional scene. He's the younger brother of Faraz. You know the coach to, to George? He could have had a fight at any point, but they waited. 
Now he gets Reginaldo Vieira, who technically won the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. <laughs> what a weak season. And he lost and actually got back in on an injury replacement in a very weak season. And I remember he was training in a kitchen. And like, there's a fridge in the middle of the training room. It was, like, really low-budget shit. <laughs> and he looks remarkably good against Eamon Zahabi. Eamon Zahabi wins a decision. The fight's in Halifax. He's obviously going to get the Canadian rub. And he fought the worst possible guy they could have gotten him. And yet, almost lost. The Ricardo Hamos fight, he gets taken out in the first round, out grappled. The second round, Hamos gasses. And Eamon's actually starting to pick up the pace. And he's mm-hmm. starting to beat him. And it goes into the third round. I got a 1-1. And I got Eamon coming on. And he doesn't look bad. He doesn't look great, but he doesn't look bad. It's a double spinning back elbow. He throws the first one. It misses by a mile. And you see him set up for the second one. And Eamon doesn't read it. He runs straight forward into it. Gets knocked out. You give him a pass. Because he's starting to come on. And it was a spinning guy. You give him a pass. The Vince Morales fight is inexcusable. You've now lost to a guy that's got, uh, he's a generalist. He's not a great wrestler. He's not a great striker. He doesn't do anything. Eamon Zahabi landed 28 significant strikes. He was gun shy. He didn't throw shit. He's 33 years old. He's one of the head trainers at TriStar MMA. He collects a paycheck from your gym fees. He collects a paycheck from doing personal lessons. He's 33 years old. He just had a baby. He's not in it to win it. Now, Draco's 24. This is it. This is it, baby. Let's go. I just want a contract and contender series. I really want this. And I will admit, there is a, there is a problem where Zahabi's got so much experience in the gym. And probably just know-how and um, knowledge. And I've sparred with kids like this a hundred times, a thousand times over. You know how many 24-year-olds knock on the door and they want some rounds? I'm a BJJ black belt. This kid's no better than a purple belt. He Draco likes to over-engage in the grappling, which gets him away against bum opponents, but it's mm-hmm. not going to serve him well against somebody who's going to minus P's and Q's, as we keep saying. So Zahabi would be considered a live underdog, but I've... I've Listed so many other live underdogs, the Pandy Kianzas, the Alex Moronos, the Jillian Robertsons, uh, the Marcin Taburas, <laughs> the Rob Fonts. There's a lot of live underdogs on this card. Zahabi, I'm not going to go What's with What's the them. overpay on this one, prop bet, Matt? Because it sounds if you don't think that the submission's even there. No, uh, yeah, I would say either Draco puts it on him late with his hands. Draco's very wild with his hands, but he does have some legitimate... Some, but you know you're right because Draco hasn't knocked anybody out in two years, and it was a one and zero opponent. So yeah, I liked some overs on this fight too. Over one and a half minus three ninety. Over two and a half minus two twenty five. Okay, they're, no, you don't they're, want, they're, they're you don't want the overs. You do not want unders on this. They're, fight. they're Sorry, wise over. to it. Yeah, All yeah. right, we got uh, Tafon or Tafon uh, and Chukwe taking on Jamie Pickett. Uh, Tafon, uh, Tafon the Don. Is uh, minus three hundred favorite picket plus two fifty. Tavon looks like a like a real a real problem moving forward. For Could potentially people. be this guy is super super jack. Watches rewatched his uh, William Knight fight, uh, and this is at, at one eighty five too. So yeah, that's you a know he's a little bit short. Uh, obviously for two oh five, he hasn't had any problems. He's four and oh. He's he's really marched everybody down. Um. But yeah, it looks like the hips are super strong. Like he's not su- easy to take down. William William uh, Knight is trying to do that in that spot, and they end up against the cage, and he's just just unloading hellacious, hellacious elbows and making him really pay for trying to take him down. Um, 
And then on the Contender Series, I forget the name of the guy that he ended up fighting there. There was like one yeah, spot Montavo. maybe in round one. Rest that, in peace. The guy that he took on <laughs> oh, didn't really, like that was a tough spot. He was, <laughs> no shit. In terms of level of skill that we're talking about here, he was he was a fish out of water. He did land one strike that I thought maybe startled Tafan a little bit. Jamie Pickett, on the other hand, he's been on the Contender Series multiple times. He got it. He got his contract on his second or second time around. Third there. time. Third time yeah, around. Yeah, no, his third time's the charm. Um, and that was just basically just barging forward, and uh, and cl- clipping uh, his opponent there. What was the name? of Jonathan Patti. Yeah, Jonathan Patti. It was a sweet combo, man. It was like thirty punch. He just combo. kind of barged <laughs> yeah, yeah. forward like yeah, this. Yeah, though. yeah, was yeah. Just It was bombs. wild. It was wild for sure. You do that against Tafan, you're taking probably get KO. You're taking a KO. Yeah, snap. I agree. I think I think this guy is going to be. Something. Um, I think he's, you know, he's 4-0. There's a lot of skills to be developed here. Training at Team Lloyd Irvin. I don't, I don't know what his game, his ground game is like because it doesn't seem like anybody's able to take him down. Um, the striking super, super crisp. I mean, onwards and upwards for uh, Tafan the Don here. Uh, minus 300, it seems like a lot. Obviously, they're not, you know, you got to pay to play. But I like this kid. I think, I think we've got... A legitimate prospect on our hands. What about you? Yeah, that's the impression that I get as well, is that he seems like a legitimate prospect. He's only 26 years old. He's young in his career, but he's making a ton of improvements. He's 13-1, and one, I want to say, in Muay Thai. And, like, you look at some of the replays, like, he's a high-level striker, right? One of these guys that comes into MMA puts on small gloves, and you better not mess around because he's got great setups to his strikes. He's got great setups to his counters. One thing I don't like about him is that he doesn't throw a ton of output. You've seen in the Montavo fight. Montavo was way outmatched, but, like, he's beating him to the punch. Mm-hmm. And, like, it actually ends up being a 55. He outstrikes him 55 to 44. The thing you don't see is that 44th strike <laughs> absolutely yeah, the kills The head him. kick absolutely just rests in peace. <laughs> he's out the whole way on the, to the ground. And I remember it was, like, Eight and a half minutes after the KO, and then they were just like, the producer, obviously we've, we've worked a lot of TV, so you would know how it would be. The producer was like, all right, camera three, uh, stop going to him. <laughs> stop going to him. Cut, cut from that. Yeah, let's pretend that didn't happen. There's a good possibility he's dead. Certainly his brain's swelling. Maybe we should err on the side of caution and stop showing this guy. Thankfully, Montavo's okay. But it was like, that's what's going to happen when you put a low-level guy on with somebody who's got this kind of striking. The Teflon Tafon, the Don. He looks like he's okay. Looks like he's making some improvements. Now, one thing with the Lloyd Irvin camp is Lloyd Irvin is grappling, grappling, grappling. If you know Lloyd Irvin, not the piece of shit side of Lloyd Irvin, but the actual jiu-jitsu side of him, it's like, yo, the guy like made Keenan Cornelius. You know, He had a house for just high-level BJJ black belts, and all you do is train, and like, this guy's just... Technically, you know, he's on another level. He's very, very wise. Tafon's a striker. He's not a grappler. Linking him up with someone like Team Lloyd Irvin. I think that's putting in the the other skills to his game. And to that point, his his debut against Alex Myers, you can watch the fight. Alex Myers realizes, I don't want to strike with this guy, so just attempts to get him down. He stuffed seven takedowns against Mm -hmm. Alex Myers, right? Stuffs them all. Grappling looked okay. He's thick. Next fight against A.T. McCowan, guy doesn't get the memo. <laughs> doesn't try to take him down. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> Gets knocked out. Then we get William Knight. Well, William Knight did get the memo, and he tries to get him down. And you see this guy. It's like he reverses and just, like, looks fairly smooth on the ground. And he's fighting at a catch weight of 220. 
and he doesn't overly look out of place, but he's, he's not the biggest guy. No. Him at 205, perfect. Him now at 185 pounds, I'm excited about that because this is not Dolce. Yeah. Him and Dolce both weighing in at 185, like... This is a big boy. These boys are going to be putting on the show at, at, at the weigh-ins. These guys are going to be jacked. I agree. And I think that he's the legitimate prospect because mm-hmm. he's only 26. He's yeah. nine years younger than Dolce. 100%. He's putting all the skills together. He's got a legitimate striking acumen, right? You add the grappling skills into all that, and it makes this guy a real big threat. Now, you've got to move him along the slow way. And so with Jamie Pickett, and it's not no offense to Jamie Pickett, but... You know, he was 0-2 in contender series fights. This is technically a regional so- show. They're trying to get a contract, and, and he's unable to do so. His first time around, you know, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt, is Charles Bird. But Charles Bird got a UFC contract, and then fanned out. Couldn't cut it. Got released from the promotion. And he gets submitted in the first round. His grappling leaves something to be desired. Goes back to the regional scene, beats some low-level guys, comes back, gets Pugliano Soriano. A little bit better, very green. You know, loses a 30-27, lost every round. And then that fight with Jonathan Patty. Patty looked good in the first round. The mm-hmm. second round, you know, he puts his 20-punch combo on him. The difference I find is that he looked a little bit wild with the striking. He's never been knocked out. So it's one thing to say, geez, our boy Tafon's going to knock him out. Never been knocked out. And when you talk about these guys with big height and big reach, this guy's got a pick. has got an 80-inch reach on him. Actually got a 3-inch reach advantage, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, over Tafon. So Fair. it's interesting. But he's too wild. He's too wild. He's too open. Do you try to throw a 20-punch combination or a 30-punch combination, you, you allow yourself to open up? You're going to get knocked out. Tafon seems to hurt you and take his time and wait, take you out, right? That's high-level striking. Pickett can wrestle a little bit. He can strike a little bit. He's got decent cardio. I think he's going to push it. Tafon, we don't know what he's going to be like later in rounds. So push him into later rounds. And the one takeaway from Contender Series, if I'm Team Pickett, I really like this. He doesn't throw a ton. What he does throw is murderous. Mm Mm-hmm. But he doesn't throw a ton. Beat him to the punch. Work him. And slowly wins those rounds. But I agree. I think when you got a legitimate prospect, he's just going to get better and better. Every time he's going to make improvements. He's 26. So what you saw against Will Knight, you didn't see against Montavo. What you saw against Montavo, you're not going to see here. You know, like there's going to be a, a steady arc of, of improvement. But minus 300 gives you the idea that he's already refined. And he's still got some ways to go. I do not like this price tag. This is not my lock of the week, but I do think he gets the victory. All right, fair enough. Uh, we got Jim. Uh, we got the rematch. Uh, you know, fight was supposed to take place. Was it last week or the other? Two weeks ago. Two weeks week. ago. Two weeks ago. Jimmy the Brick Flick. Uh, tell him. Tell him the Brick sent you. <laughs> He's uh, taking on Cody Durden. You let you had uh, Durden last time out, I believe. There was some sort of medical. It was an eye, an infected eye, infected pink eye. eye. Okay, four, four dirty. It did look fucked up, but I mean, him out. he was wearing sunglasses on the scales. So. Yeah, it did giveaway. Um, <laughs> uh, minus one fifty, plus one thirty. Has anything changed in your mind here? Or do you still like dirty? You know what? I'm actually kind of thinking I'm going to go towards Flick. Uh, I know, I know, I know. So, you know me, my brain just thinks too much. But with Cody Durden, so Cody Durden never fought at 125. He had fought catchweights of 127, 128, and fought largely... No, he fought uh, Scoggins at 125, I believe. And yeah, and he got, he's, he, got, he got worked in that fight and submitted, correct? Let me just bring it up real mm-hmm. quick. So he made 125 one time against the younger Scoggins, Jared. Yeah, Jared. Yeah, actually, it was a decision. It's listed at 125 and was for the flyweight championship, despite it, being, it. Despite it being a flyweight title fight. It was only three rounds. So I, I, I don't know. I had never really seen him make 125. What I have seen him make is take catchweights and fight at 135. When he was making 125 for the last fight against Flick, 
He went on Twitter to pull a Mike Perry, you know, complain. Oh, it's so difficult. Diego Lima's coach because at ATT Atlanta. His, his coach, Diego Lima, comes on. Well, we'll cut off a leg to make weight. Cody's going to make weight. He's going to make weight. He's going to make weight. And he had said, I had n- I've never made 126 in my life. That's what he said. Fair. Whatever. Does make the weight. Does show up to the dance. Got an eye infection. Now they cancel it. Now you rebook it two weeks. Now he's going to make the weight again. So, like, on one hand, he was complaining about the weight cut. He's got to make it all over again. But here's, here's my issue with him. Everybody that's breaking down Cody Durden, you know, you got to talk about the Chris Gutierrez fight. Everyone's got this idea like he dominated Chris Gutierrez in the first round. Like, no, he backpacked him, and that's it. And Chris Gutierrez was way too comfortable with just sitting there, hoping the ref would stand him up. Mm-hmm. Only no ref in their right mind would ever stand up a fight when the guy's on the other guy's back. So he doesn't get stood up. And then in the second and third round, Durden's tired. His striking is abysmal. You know something, right? He's a... He's a wrestler, right? Guy wrestled collegiately. He was a good high school wrestler. That's, that's what they bill him at. He went two of 13 in takedown attempts against Chris Gutierrez, a non-wrestler. His wrestling's not all that good. His cardio's not all that good. How's he going to beat Jimmy Flick? Knock him out. Jimmy Flick been knocked out four times in five pro losses. Like, chin check this guy. But I got a bad feeling that Jimmy Flick either A, takes him down and chokes him out, B, gets taken down and chokes him out, or C, they both get tired in Jimmy Flick's game. Like, his cardio has seemingly looked a little bit better his last three fights. It's like, you got to knock him out earlier. He's just going to keep tying submission attempts together. So, the last time we broke down the fight, I thought Cody Durden, live dog. He got the better wrestling. Keep the fight standing. He's got the better striking. He's got the more punching powers. Grind and pounds a lot better. Hurt Flick. Get at him. But honestly, I just had, like, a gut change. And again, I got Flick on Facebook. Probably shouldn't. You don't want to, like, have, like, a personal feeling towards the guy. But, like... The fight gets canceled with Cody Durden, and at first he's like, no reason homeboy's wearing sunglasses at the Wayne's. He got pink eyes, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, he's whatever, got my show money. He's like, really want to fight, but, you know, what, rebook it to the next card. Like, he's just cool with it. Mm-hmm. And then the video he posts that night, he's crying, you know? And it's like, that's the emotion a fighter goes through. He's like, I really, you just got paid $12,000 to not do shit. And well, you've been putting it. in all this time training, getting ready yeah. for the biggest moment of your career. And that, that, That's what we kind of forget Jimmy some of the times Flick here is, when we we'll yeah, shit on fighters and stuff oh, like right, that. Man. But it's just you're like, right. this is these guys' Super Bowl. And I respect Just him. because it's like deep yeah. down the prelims. It may be like, oh, well, this is a throwaway fight or something like that. But it's just like, this is this is these guys' Super Bowl. This is the biggest moment of their career. I didn't mean to say it like he was crying like he's a bitch. I meant to say it like he's crying like that's how much it meant to him. Mm-hmm. Like he's emotional. Because everybody cries, right? It re- really meant a lot to him to make his UFC debut. To, you know, I, I got a full-time job. I took a short-nosed fight for, for the LFA flyaway title. And shit, I sprung a quick upset and got a quick submission. Then, two weeks later... They offered me a short-notice contender series fight. He's replacing J.P. Buys on short notice. Mm-hmm. He comes out there and puts on a fucking career performance, man. His calf kicks look legit. His striking looked improved because he's a bad striker. But it looked a lot better. His wrestling looked unbelievable. And he had the most submission attempts in contender series history and finally stuck him with the last one. Arms never burnt out. Kept his chain submissions. It's a lot to like there. Now you take a fight with Cody Durden in the UFC, like... He's on a wave of momentum right now, and he's feeling good, and he has a full-time job, which I think he's taking some... Cody Durden actually left his full-time job as well. you got two guys. This means the world to them. They're the second fight on the UFC card. They're finally starting to get paid. They've left their full-time jobs. This means everything to them. But with Jimmy Flick, it's like he's had a full career of fighting just anybody he could. 13 of 15 wins by submission. His submission game looks tight. Mm -hmm. BJJ Black Belt. 
His striking has always been his weakness, but it looks like he's made a long ways. And it seems like I, I, I really thought Cody Durden was going to be a lot physically stronger than him the last time we broke down this fight. I don't know that I feel that way. So honestly... You've got to wonder with uh, Durden, too, if he has an eye infection. If he, if he has pink eye two weeks ago... Whose ass is he, is he eating? Yeah, who? Who? <laughs> who? We know. No, but I mean, like... Were they a BJJ guys, black Because Jimmy Flick is! Are guys lining up to to train with him in the room right now? They don't <laughs> want to get fucking pink eye either right before the Christmas holidays, so maybe he hasn't done all that much in the last couple weeks. It, it's certainly possible. I just I don't know with, if fighters are afraid of pink eye. But. I just saw with Durden, it's like, he gassed out against Gutierrez, but he's on short notice, and he's working a full-time job. So now, his last fight, full camp, no job, focus on the weight cut, this is his chance. He's a live dog. He's plus 130, relatively the same as last time they were priced. Yep. He's a live dog. But then thinking about, fuck, man, he's got to drop that weight again. And I don't know. I just think that's a lot of stress on you. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's a 50-50 fight. 50-50 fight, you take dog or pass. But the variables throwing in, at least in my brain, my brain just won't stop. It's telling me, like, there's so many underdogs that we talked about that have a legitimate chance. And Durden... Has a legitimate chance, but he's not one of the ones I like. So I'm going to hit a favorite or pass. It's going to be Jimmy Flicker or a straight pass for me. All right. And finally, we've got Rick Glenn taking on Carlton Minus. Rick Glenn, minus 325 favorite, minus plus, minus can be had for plus 265. Uh, minus took on Semmelsberger. Watch that fight. Oh, man. And yeah. I wasn't all that impressed. Like he. He faints a lot. He paints a lot. The the his entries looked pretty uh, pretty wild. And Rick, the problem here is that they're paying. You got to pay the piper to bet Rick Glenn. And Rick That's Glenn is a hundred and forty five pounder coming up here, and his career is just kind of like you don't know which Rick Glenn is. It going to be the guy who showed up and absolutely put the hurt on Gavin Tucker that one You're day. You're going to bring that up. The absolute yeah. fucking tyrant oh, that yeah. he showed up and just absolutely, like, game, what we thought was a game-changing beaten. I mean, props to Gavin Tucker coming out there. and uh, It turns out he's tougher than John Wayne's boot, right? Yeah. I mean, the guy really took a beating in that fight and looks good. If they were to rebook I'm that fight, about I Rick, would bet Gavin I got to see Rick Glenn on a scale here at 155. Wow. He's you, given up one. He's given up like three and a half inches of reach. I think technique, skill, everything is Rick Glenn's corner. This guy's a former champion on, not the UFC, World Series but of fighting, yeah. World Series of Fighting. High-level promotions, this yeah. guy's a former champion. The skills are all there. He should have massive advantages besides size. He's given up like three and a half inches of reach here. But more or less anywhere this fight goes, I, I got to lean, I, I got to go with Rick Glenn. But... It's quarantine time. I put on like twenty five fucking pounds. I got have you actually New Year's Is that resolution. Why you drew a beard? Oh yeah, of course. I didn't even notice, man. Hundred percent. I feel like I've lost weight if anything. No, I got. I was doing so actually pretty good back. in the summer. This beer is tasty, by the way. Football Big wave season. Golden football ale? season. It tends to happen. The, right. the, the you know the the days are long and uh, and then you end up buying pizza on the way home because it's that late at night. Tasty right about these now. things happen, but. Yeah, that's one of the the New Year's resolutions. Get back, get get some shit. Keto? Tight, uh, probably. I'll, oh, you will go back to keto. keto? That, that's the Cheeto Keto code, basically. Wow, yeah. you're the Keto Master. It dude. works. I never heard of that shit before. You put that shit on the map. They should be paying you if anything. 
I don't know if there's somebody <laughs> individually to pay for that, but I don't uh, even know who invented if, it. If, if you want, yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna pay us money, we're looking for sponsors here. But uh, yeah, Rick Glenn, clearly, clearly the pick. I, I'm not impressed by what I saw from Carlton Minus. Semmelsberger made it look pretty easy in pretty much all the exchanges that I saw in that fight. The only question is, yeah, 145 pounder moving up to 155. Is it because he hasn't been training all that much? I haven't seen anything from Rick Glenn. So Glenn's the pick. I uh, wish I was more confident in where he's at right now, though. That's that's my major issue here. Yeah, dude, honestly, you pretty much stole the words right from me. Is that what has Rick Glenn been up to? Is he trustworthy? Can you trust this guy? And that that's, that's all the big question here. Because for what he's got, Rick Glenn's got some legitimate talent. He's a good wrestler, underrated wrestler. His grappling is legit. His striking is like long man striking. He puts it on you. But if he thinks he has you hurt, his combos are legit, and he just keeps putting on that pressure. Obviously, you could talk about the Gavin Tucker fight all day long, but it's a career body of work considering the guy's got 28 pro fights. And, you know, he's had two and a half years off. He hasn't fought in two and a half years. He's still only 31 years old. The skills are there. The question is, is that, like, where is the guy at? Right, because notoriously he's fighting in the UFC and he works at Costco. That was his thing, you know. He's working at Costco full time, fighting in the UFC. Be Georgie Carhanian for the W, the the World Series of Fighting Featherweight title. Lost to Lance Palmer, no big deal. It's fucking Lance Palmer, the million dollar man. But it's like he's he was fighting at a high echelon, right? He comes to the UFC. He's supposed to be decent. He fought some decent guys, gave an okay count of himself, but he's got skills everywhere. It's that like, what has he done since? And that, that's the problem. So he loses to Kevin Aguilar, 30-27. He loses all three rounds to Kevin Aguilar. He gets beat to the punch. He doesn't particularly look good in that fight. Since then, he's taken two and a half years off. That's red flag number one. Two and a half year long layoff, okay? Red flag number two, and you mentioned it, he's moving from 145 to 155. Red flag number three, he left Team Alpha Male, which is where he was training during his UFC tenure, to move back home to Iowa where he's not training at a high level. Red flag number four, just had a baby. So all of these different things move in. Oh, yeah, sorry. I missed the biggest one of them all. Red flag number five, it wasn't like the baby that he just had was the reason he's been off two and a half years. It wasn't like it was the loss. He, he got a bad hip problem, and he's had a surgery on his hip. And he says he was just, like, run down, tired, injured sure but when you're paying minus 325 there's too many red flags and listen he is the clear favorite in this fight because we'll talk about Carlton minus in a minute but it's just like he's the clear favorite but he's got those five major red flags but red flag number i think it was three no it was red flag number two which is him moving up to 155 see that's compounded because carlton minus is moving down from 17 Mm -hmm. and carlton minus also fought in the alaska fc regionals at 185 not a big middleweight but an okay-sized welterweight and figures to be probably a large lightweight. Yeah. Taking on a guy in Rick Glenn who's going to be a small lightweight, yeah. who's been off for two and a half years, who just had a baby, who left a, a mega gym to go back home to Iowa, who's coming off a very decisive loss to Kevin Aguilar two and a half years ago. It's red flag central. It's more red flags than an amusement park. So do you bet him at 325? Like, I just... I want to bet him. He's, he's the favorite. He's decisively the favorite. You, you got a guy here in Carlton Minus whose record effectively stands 10-2. and two. See, he's 10 wins on the Alaska FC Regional, 
an 0-2 in fighting outside of Alaska. He still trains in Alaska at Avalanche MMA, Avalanche Wrestling, I think it is. <clears throat> in uh, Is Anchorage the capital? Yeah. Biggest city in Alaska. But it's like, realistically, it's like, who's he training with? Is he getting better? Is his weight cut going to zap him? you got to wait until you see this guy in the weights mm-hmm. as well. If you told me who's a better striker, I'd say th- this kid faints too much. He does a lot of fainting. He switches stances a lot. Rick Lund's a better striker. Who's the better wrestler? Honestly, Rick Lund's got underrated wrestling. He's definitely the better wrestler. Who's got the better grappling? Oh, it's, it's Rick Lund. Who's got the better cardio? Rick Lund doesn't gas. So, like, he's got the advantages in all the areas. So, it's like, well, why are we not banking on him at minus 325? The, the five red Size. Strikes. Size. Layoff. Injury. Up, yeah, three and a half inches of reach, I believe. I think it's like 74. <clears throat> I'm doing it all off memory, but 74 inch reach versus 70.5. And I just feel like you, you got a guy who is not showing you anything in Carlton minus, right? No. And he's just a dog. He's just an underdog on the card with a lot of better underdogs. It just goes down to pricing. That's all. That's all. And you know what? The book, it's not the bookie's fault. The bookie opens it. Matt Best will be able to correct me on this, but the bookie opens it like 260 Rick Glenn or something. It's the people realizing like, dude, Rick Glenn's way better than this guy everywhere. Mm-hmm. They, they bank on it. They run the price. So now we can sit here and say there's too much money on Rick Glenn, but then in the same breath, we just told you he's better everywhere. Yeah. So why would he not win the fight? And if he's going to win the fight, who cares what you're paying? But it's like, shit, I'd really like to see a round or two in him before I fully... Unless I know, we got a guy that just lost to Matthew Semmelsberger. And you rewatch that fight. It's like, he definitely lost. <laughs> he probably lost all three rounds. It wasn't particularly close. He no, got, He got no. dominated pretty much pillar to post. So, like, what, what could he possibly do against Rick Glenn? Nothing. So, like, why am I talking myself out of Glenn? Shouldn't Glenn be top bracket parlay piece? You know, he might, he might end up being... But will will I tweet out? Son well, of a you fucking like, bitch! You like it? <laughs> right you like it because you can re, you can rebuild after that if it's the first fight of the night. Though you're right. You're and you're right about that. You're right about that. If for some reason it lost, Rick Glenn's like, going to oh, end up in your top line. That's my that's my prediction right now. <sighs> I like a lot of dogs on this card, and dogs won't be in that top line. So who are the, who are some of the safe favorites that should definitely win? Well, Rick Glenn should definitely win. You know, Tafon, I would think he should definitely win. Mm-hmm. Do I agree with the price tags? I just n- no, not really, but. I do think they win. Who's a guaranteed win beyond that, man? You know, there's none. <laughs> there's honestly none. I told everybody we'd get back on the win column because it's the last card of the year. I let my people down last week. But now I'm going to take them to the promised land, the land of milk and cookies, Paul. But it's like, ooh, this is a tough card <laughs> to try to guarantee those promises. But, uh, you know, Moses was like, fuck it. I'm going to get right across that sea. No one believed him, but he did it. And you know what? They didn't believe him when he said that the burning bush was on fire. But it was. And so... Uh, you can see the, uh, the beers are starting to kick in for Cody, <laughs> giving us some religious <laughs> prophecies and all that shit right now. All I'm saying is, on the 17th day, Rick Glenn <laughs> came back to the UFC. And, oh, 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 oh. He does not... How did I forget this? He doesn't work at a Costco anymore because he left. He went back to Iowa. He's a plumber now, Paul. So I'll tell you what. That it's like it takes more out of you to be a plumber than to stock shelves. Have you been a plumber? I got a buddy that's a plumber. Have you worked it's at a tough Costco? Work, man. I've been to a Costco many I w- times. I worked at a Costco. You've worked everywhere. Yeah, I had like I had I had some years in my life. How where many I just different kind jobs of... do you think you've had? Odd job, Paul. Whew. If you had to guess, would it be like over twenty? That's a lot of jobs. Yeah, I've been at you... this one for a while. You know what? Considering you're 35, 34? 35. You're 35. 
and you've been at this job technically for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So between 15 and 25, that's where, you held down 20 that's different where all jobs. the magic happens. Yeah, yeah. That's where all, good old I days. mean, my first job would have been like I, I helped like a, a, a general contractor up at my family's cottage. The best is when you were I was in like New tw- I was 12 years old getting cash <laughs> underneath the table, like ch- ch- child labor, basically. Child labor. He paid me pretty well. He's a, he's a good guy. Little known fact the audience would know Paul Shaughnessy is in the tree planting hall of fame. How many trees did you plant? Uh, on the records. On the records. That's not even off the. I think it's trees like eight hundred eight hundred and sixty-two thousand. Eight hundred and sixty-two thousand trees Paul planted. I'm you close. guys make sure to give him a thank you. There's probably like another seventy thousand trees that were planted elsewhere. That's crazy. Like for man. like different companies, little side projects and stuff like that. There's there's like another seventy. So it's like if I went back. I mean, on the on the books, based on like the one company that I did most of my work for, yeah, eight hundred sixty two thousand. So I'm in the Hall of Fame there. But, um, but yeah, if I went back for like a month, I don't know. I'm old now and broken. So Pierre, if I went back for a couple of months, we're, we're I would be over a million. I actually know one other tree planter, mm-hmm. and he's now just wrapped up his fifth season, and I think he just hit over a half million trees. So to put things into perspective, Paul crushed ass at tree planting. Yeah, I had, I had a couple seasons that were really good. I was you know, top, you're in the top Hall two, of Fame, top, bro. They don't just give away that top shit. two, top three in the camp, especially my. I think it was my fourth year. Just put on a, a goddamn clinic. Uh, those are the glory days. Um, all right, we, we've been going pretty long because there's 14 fights here. Uh, Brett Apley will drop a video for uh, DraftKings picks uh, later on in the week. We'll, he'll, you know closer to weigh-ins and we'll see certain fights are going to drop out and i believe it i mean we have 14 fights here i was talking to producer matt before i'm like we'll be lucky to have 12 i think i'm, I'm fully expecting at least two of these to drop out I think for whatever UFC reason we're in well. vegas and yeah. that's just what has been happening here in the new year we're going to be back on fight island starting january 16th so i don't know maybe we should go a different way about breaking down from a DraftKings perspective here Maybe pick your three favorite guys. My three favorite favorites, or just three favorite three guys. Three favorite DraftKings plays, rather because what usually. All right, I like Michelle here, Pereira. What usually ends up happening here, Cody, is that we get to this point, and then yeah. you basically just do an unabridged version of the entire breakdown, which people just sat through. Yeah, you know what? You're not wrong about that. I am a rambling man. Everyone. No, knows no, this. we love it. Thank I. I love it because you you bail me out of. Uh, a lot of situations. I'm going to say, I like, Pereira is only $8,300. He's got high upside. He fights like a shit-eating wild man. But honestly, his ground game is his path to victory here. And so he could surprise you. He might be able to get a finish. But even if he doesn't, he's still going to get 8300 in a victory. You probably want the winner of that fight either way. <laughs> yeah. For, like, a value guy, honestly, maybe it's my hatred towards Anthony Pettis is really shining through. By the way, if anybody wants a box of those Anthony Pettis Wheaties, I got to get them out of my sight. Uh, yeah, I- Seven thousand. I mean, he's got a he's got a winnable upside. Does he knock out Pettis? No. Does he submit Pettis? No. He puts the pressure on him. Seven thousand, not the work price. Who do I really like? This is a tough week. I know that. I think you, the guy that I like I, a lot of underdogs. To be honest with you, like who who are your top money favorites that you like? Who are you spending up for? The guy that I would be spending up for. I mean, I like Thompson in the main event. I actually quite like. Yeah, t- but, you're, but he, he's, he's seventy eight hundred bucks, right? I the eighty six hundred Aldo is not quite paying up. Nine thousand on Marias? No, I'm not particularly interested in that. Ninety two hundred on Pettis? Fuck no. Eighty eight hundred on Senor Eubanks? No way. Carl Robertson ninety three hundred? 
Really? Like, that's a big price day for Carl Roberson. I guess the issue with Tafan is he's 9,400, and if Pickett's never been knocked out. Yeah, and, like, Draco, same thing. Like, he's 9,100, but, like, he's taking on Savvy and a veteran that's, like, good at eluding strikes and just kind of staying at bay. You know, Jimmy Flick versus Durden. Jimmy Flick's got a really high upside, but the same in the same breath, he's been knocked out four times in five losses. So Cody Durden at 7,500 could be an optimal type of play. Rick Glenn versus Carlton Minus, like, Rick Glenn could put it on him. He should throw some strikes in the mix, but the 9,500 is, is blown way out of proportion. And minus, we're not taking him. So it's like you're going to have a ton of money left on the table. And what you decide to do with that money is anybody's guess. But it looks yeah, like the there's top, a lot of, I think there's right, a lot though, of overwhelming. Top guys like Anthony Pettis, we don't really, like no, 9,200, that's, that's asking a lot. Roberson, like I'm. I'm scared that he could just get starched. Yeah, and you got Draco and Tafon. I like both of them better than the last two guys we talked about, but it's the same thing. It's like I think Tafon is the the spend up guy for me. I know that James Pickett he, he, hasn't been knocked yeah, out, yeah. but like he just bodied a guy. He hasn't, the last he hasn't time taken out, on so. Tafon. Tafon looks like like looks looks like the real deal, and we'll see where his career goes. But Tafon would be my favorite. Uh, yeah, I agree. High up guy. I like Stephen Thompson in the main event. And Which is a mid-range guy. And then for a cheap guy, yeah, I think you got a lot of options. I think Rob Font's a legitimate option. I think that... I mean, Font has got to be chalk. It's 7,200 and a plus 125. 7,000 and Penny Kansas 7,400. Penny's got less of a chance for finish. Pess has got less of a chance for finish. At least with Rob Font, it's like maybe he chin-checks him, but it's probably going to be a decision. It's the fact that he's $7,200. Really cheap, right? I, I would say leave it in the hands of Brett Appley. We always give you a breakdown at the end of the card. I know a lot of people shit on it. Well, your DraftKings picks, you don't take as much time as your money line picks. Listen to Brett, man. Brett's yeah, legit. There's, there's, Brett does the research. He knows what he's talking about. He's a guy that's won he gets more deeper into the stats of each one of these individual fighters. And yeah, and like legitimately, that. he's like a guy that I would put my vote of confidence behind. Like, I have no trouble telling you, listen to this guy. And when I think about the top DK players, like, I think he specializes more so in, in DraftKings. Mm-hmm. Or not DraftKings, but just like fantasy MMA. I would say he's one of the guys. He's one of the guys. Listen to him for sure. As far as the money line picks, as you can say, we're all over the place. And uh, I'm going to tighten this bitch up. I'm going to tighten this bitch up. And by Friday or by Saturday, when we put out some parlays, it's like, let's hit a nice little festive season parlay ball. Yeah. Send the, we get the kids, you know, a Christmas miracle. Oh, yeah. this card yeah. it would be a miracle <laughs> because it is shit's rolling. Yeah, there are, there are, there are... Uh, you know Landmines. Landmines are to be had everywhere. There's question marks on all of the... I mean, there's a lot of close, close pick'em types of fights. It's just a matter of finding the spots that you really love. I would think there's a room. You might have Sean Shelby in it. You might have Mick Maynard in it. You got Dana in it. It starts off with a... <laughs> and then they're like, oh God. what the fuck, man? It's the last card of the year already. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, I'm surprised it ran through us. Oh, who do you got about Rick Glenn? Motherfucker's still on the roster, dude. He hasn't fought in two and a half years. Yeah, we got to give him a fight, though. We owe him a fight. <laughs> okay, put Rick Glenn. Who do we got to fight Rick Glenn? Oh, Carlton Myers. I don't even know who that is. Line him up. What else do we got? Cody Jordan, Jimmy Flick. What? Didn't that fight already happen? No, it got canceled. Fuck, we owe them a fight, don't we? Yeah, we do. Okay, Jimmy Pickett. Dude, I did not give that guy the contract. No, 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 but the second time. I didn't give him the contract. No, the third time. Oh, man, I did give him the contract. <laughs> him versus Tafon. Tafon's going to roll, baby. What else do we got? Eamon's a hobby. Are you sure he's still on the roster? Like, this card is really, I owe you a fight. It's the end of the year. Contractually, I don't want to get sued. Here's a fight. 14 of them. Take your pick. So, listen, there's going to be a lot of spots. So can't, can't Matchmaking's tight at the ace. Duran win. Are you sure we didn't cut that? I know DC called begged. 
three times. Oh, fuck, that's right. Isn't he only 5'6"? Cody thought he was 5'8". Motherfucker's only 5'6". Ah, oh, shit. That's like basically the greatest, the greatest breakdown of this card. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, good there's thing a lot of fun little... fights. I'm, I'm gonna oh, enjoy no, watching all. No, it's gonna be fun as hell. It's just like I want to make. Let's make some money. Let's make some holiday money for the for the gang. And it's just like if you if you put a gun in my hand, you're like, who your top three most solid? Build that top three parlay right now. Who, who your top three? It's like, well, Thompson can't make the top three. Aldo, it's like, oh fuck, man, he's seen better days, and I do think he's gonna win. Marlon Marais, Rob Font, like no, Michelle Pereira. I would, I would think I like Michelle, Michelle Pereira. Michelle Pereira. No, and the, wow. and that is that's exactly what it comes down to. He's a minus one twenty five. He's on a lock, right? He's taking Chaos Williams, who's All right. and who is gonna talk about it? Guys normally lose and shit in your apple pie. Michelle Pereira's winning. He's winning. He's winning. He's break dancing some shit into your apple yeah, pie. Yeah, I trust like, your judgment, kid. But I, but I do like him. And then yeah, I mean, it's uh, All right, it's so murder's f- row, but. We're going to do it. We're going to do it because that's what we do. We're just about out of time. But before we go, (laughs) hit them with the can't lose. Can't see how anybody on this Pogi Rob parlay could possibly not come through. I'll tell you something. There's no chance that these guys (laughs) lose. Stephen Thompson, who's technically dog number one. Jose Aldo, Michelle Pereira, Rob Font, dog number two. Uh, Marcin Tybora, dog number three. Jillian Robertson, dog number four. Alex Morono, dog number five. Penny Kanzak, dog number six. Carl Robertson. <laughs> oh, man. If, if your book only takes 12 fights, pass on this. If you, <laughs> on the Arroyo. Yeah, dude, if you if you have to take a fight, I'm I'm going to take Deron Wynn and hope that Arroyo doesn't get back. Ah, you will, though. Anyways, I think that's dog number six. Um, we're going to go with Draco Rodriguez. We're going to go with Tafon and Jaquie. We're going to go with Jimmy Flick. And we're going to round it out with Rick Glenn. Uh, I do like a lot of these overs. I'll hopefully tweet out something about that. Obviously, uh, we'll cage, talk about though. some prop shit. It is small cage. Yeah. And I, mean, listen, I felt real fortunate that uh, I was feeling like a genius last week with the uh, JDS versus Gunn. Uh, over 1.5. Oh the whole time, I'm just like, this is exactly how Dancing. I saw it playing out. The problem with heavyweight MMA is it takes one shot. And, and we got one there. Shot. We got there with four seconds. But like, Dude, I know. He got clipped like at like 29. So if he just falls down and there are they don't need those cleanup shots it gets real dicey dude it was like it was but technically like it was, a jab but he switched stance it was a right hand but he just like popped got him a little bit clean. behind the oh, ear oh no the elbow is right behind the head but at the same time it's like he's he standing was, i understand to the back he of the turned, head he but turned like, jds yeah. turned on his own it was an undirty strike yeah. it was an illegal strike it was uh it wouldn't have been no contest or dq worthy it was like the guy's hurt and he turns yeah. it is what it is yeah. yeah shots to the back of the head when you got like when you got them mounted Totally understand that. But it's like when you're standing, you just got clipped, you turn your back, and somebody's already throwing a strike. Like, I don't know how yeah, you can also, even if you're on the ground, cry foul on if that. You, if you're on your ground, you give up your back. Why not, why not just cover up your head and just leave the back of your head exposed? It's mm-hmm. like, that's a coward's way out, dog. If this is the jungle, he would have smashed your head in with a rock by now. Like, fight. Fight to defend yourself, right? You give up your back, you leave that opening. JDS is on his way out. Clearly, over his career, we've seen he fought the best power punchers in the world and got folded. Now he's taking on a guy that's not exactly known power puncher <laughs> and getting folded. You know what? That one was just like try to recoup some of the some of the money. But I was feeling like a genius after the Chase Hooper fight because I knew that fight was going over one round. It was going over two rounds, over one and a half, over two and a half. Probably go to decision. And when he <laughs> the over one and a half hit, the fight starts round three hit, the over two and a half hit, and Hooper won. 
I was like, what a night to, what a way to start the card. And then literally, pew, after that. So uh, I think it was like three, six, and one or something stupid because of the main event. Is what it is. The top bracket didn't lose, but the draw, the draw caused the top bracket on the parlay to be worth nothing. And then everything else lost, right? So not a great night. I mean, it was we'll really, it, it was the, it was losing the point. I know. That cost you that, that top one. And the last badge of honor that I could hang on myself was I could have been like, man, I told you Moreno was going to fucking show up and do the dance and show you that Mexican heart of a warrior and that cast iron chain. I mean, like, nah, you I were talking and, about I that know, on the show. I know, I know, but then I cowered and put a figurado because it was like it's an easy way to hedge. Problem is when the main event came, there was no money to hedge out. No. There was a let it roll. And the draw killed you. So, anyways, let's get it back this weekend. I got a whole bunch more things to say, but uh, the three beers is really ran through me. I got to piss really bad. So, <laughs> Fair enough. let's just call this one off. All right, that is it for us this year. We'll be back in uh, January, uh, January thirteenth, I imagine. There will be a new episode of the Dogger Pass podcast. So, for producer Matt and Cody, I'm Paul. Paul Sean, as he's saying goodbye and happy holidays. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.